If you're a pastor, elder, deacon, nonprofit board member, or business owner, I need you to listen to this. K&K Furnishings needs to be on your shortlist. K&K Furnishings are committed to helping you find the right furnishings for your church or organization. These guys specialize in quality worship seating, welcome centers, cafes, nurseries, classrooms, as well as stage and podium furnishings. The two owners have over 70 years of combined pastoral experience, so not only will every transaction be handled with integrity and professionalism, but they have the experience to provide you with the perfect solutions for your furniture needs, and they absolutely understand your budget constraints and demands. K&K Furnishings are devoted to providing you quality pieces that save you money. They can do this because they don't have the overhead of a brick and mortar store and they have relationships with over 200 manufacturers nationwide. Look, we all know there's a lot of junk out there. K&K understands that many times bargains aren't true money savers. They end up costing you more in the long run. At K&K, they believe that quality furnishings don't have to be outrageously expensive. And here's the best part. K&K Furnishings sells nationally and can also provide in-person consultations in Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. If you can't meet in person, they'd be happy to set up a Zoom consultation for you today. So whatever your next project is, whether it's your home office or your church sanctuary, K&K Furnishings is the only place you need to look. Go to www.kkfurnishings.com to see how they can help you or call 567-318-4520. That's www.kkfurnishings.com or call 567-318-4520 or click on the link in the description of this episode. K&K Furnishings, furnishing business, education, worship, and hospitality for the glory of God. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I got to tell you about Jacob's Supply. Jacob's Supply is the place you got to go for all of your material needs. These guys bring you construction supplies and appliances for up to 50% off retail price, all brand new. Your home builder needs some lumber? Jacob's Supply has you covered. You a deacon at your church and you're in charge of that next Narthex floor job? Jacob's Supply has got you. Heck, they got Cortec Luxury Vinyl Plank right now for $3.59 a square foot. Go look that stuff up at Lowe's or Home Depot, man. That stuff is selling for $7 to $8 a square Square foot. That's over 50% off retail. Even if you just have some home projects you're working on, Jacob Supply is the place for you. I just built an outdoor grilling area this spring for that old smoker and grill. Guess where I got the metal roof, lumber, and screws? Yeah, that's right, Jacob Supply. Looking for a fridge, stove, washer, dryer? They got them all, and their name brand. Samsung, Bosch, Frigidaire, all 20, 30, 40% off retail. Brand new and ready for you. Located in Temperance, Michigan, it's worth it to stop by even if you're a few hours away. And remember, Jacob Supply can ship products nationally too. So even if you're out of state, you gotta check them out. Follow them on Facebook at Jacob Supply or call them direct at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978. 0978. Remember, Jacob Supply, quality building materials at wholesale prices. And now, on to the show. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between, broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dead Men Walking. Glad to have you along. Uh, I have a very special guest today, Joshua Stacy. Mr. Josh Stacy. What do you go to by Josh or Joshua? Either one works for Either me. Either one works. Well, uh, he's just a great guy um, and just a brother in the Lord, and we're going to learn a lot from him. But thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, we're on Apple. We're on uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all the places you can find your podcast, download it, stream it, listen to it, please do. And make sure you leave us a review and subscribe and tell people about the podcast so God can be glorified. So Josh, how are you doing today? 
I am living the dream, brother. Living the dream. Uh, We're going to get into all kinds of stuff today. It's going to be very interesting. I know we're going to talk about the Mosaic um, Covenant, Ark of the Covenant, and how it reflects Jesus Christ, which is an absolutely beautiful thing. But before we do, Josh, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit of your bio, your testimony, and where you are today. Absolutely. It it really began for me about eight years ago. I was in one of the lowest places of my life, Mm. Uh, drug addict, alcoholic, uh, slowly going down the road to hell, as uh, ACDC would play, right? (laughs) Um, And the Lord was was kind to me in the midst of my brokenness and found me at one of the deepest points of my life and pulled me up out of that miry pit, man. Mm, What a great verse, too. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so you were just going wild. Kind hog of. wild. Like the exact opposite <laughs> of the direction of God. Absolutely. Our stories are similar there, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Absolutely running from it. And <laughs> the and um, really just screwed my life up. Okay. I was looking at one point at life in prison. Wow. I had 37 to 52 years over my head. And wow. the Lord just um, brought me to to the place where I came to repentance and really cried out to him and really just began to seek him with all my heart. I grew up going to churches, all that kind of stuff. I sure. probably said the sinner's prayer a thousand times. Sure. Um, but never really met Jesus, never really knew what it was to, to experience the love of God. Mm. And it happened one day in the shower <laughs> when, uh, when I found out uh, that I was looking to never come home again. And I really yeah. cried out to God and, um, I was still backslidden. I was still using drugs. I was on house arrest and the Lord just steadily began to move me and use people in my life to really pull me towards him to the point where I was going the day I was going before the judge and I went and stood before him. And the judge even said, I don't know why I'm doing this. Mm. I was two weeks sober at that point. Finally, I had yeah. went to I got a DUI and I had to go for a three day hotel visit, go for some reprogramming. (laughs) And I ran into a guy that I had literally partied with for years all through high school that was clean and sober for first time I'd ever seen him in my life. And through that, Lord brought me to AA where I learned to pray. Wow. (laughs) Don't give me, I I don't know. The Lord can use anything for his glory. Exactly. Even AA. Even AA, man. (laughs) And so, um, I'm two weeks sober. I'm standing before the judge and he, he's saying to me, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm giving you two years. Huh? Life. And you were, and you were looking at oh, possibly life, possibly life. They Just offered me a plea deal, um, different things. And it came that day where even, um, the prosecutor was begging for me to get eight. Wow. And the judge Literally, like I still have the transcripts. I'll look at it from time to time and it says, I don't really know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to give you two uh, consecutive 24 month sentences and I'm going to run them concurrent. Wow. Usually most, most of the time the, the judge will align with the prosecutor. I mean, yeah. they work hand in hand in recommendations. They really and do. The fact that he was even pushing for eight, which he probably thought that was a deal because you were looking at, what'd you say? 32 to life. Yeah. And even with my deal, um, it was two to ten, so that was a higher end. And the Lord just had a different plan for me. Yeah. And so I started my steady progression because even at that point, I had 
I had no knowledge. I barely had read the Bible. I thought mm. I knew some stuff about God. Sure. And, um, and so I got shipped off to prison and I went through a wild, crazy journey. My first six months traveling from camp to camp. And when I finally got to my home camp in Chillicothe, I met an ex Aryan nation enforcer turned Jesus freak. Okay. And he introduced me, which at that point I was a very prejudiced, very racist young man. Sure. And the Lord used this guy came from the same type of lifestyle as me and been reformed to introduce me to these group of guys, uh, black men okay. <laughs> that uh, did this Bible study in the midst of prison where we gathered together on the yard. We did praise and worship. We were gathering together every day. Uh, five days a week studying in the middle of the gymnasium while basketball, weightlifting, all this stuff's going on around us. And we would sit and fellowship and it changed my whole life. Oh, isn't there, isn't there just such a great experience to the closeness and intimacy of God and brokenness? Oh my goodness, man. It, it was, (laughs) it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And it, it was so like him. He, He took me to this place where like, I had, I had nothing like I could, nothing have been, else. I could have been doing other stuff. Like, sure. especially at the camp I was in, I could have done whatever I wanted, but the Lord placed yeah. me with all these guys, even surrounded me with one. I, my buddy Blake, the, um, Aryan nation enforcer was yeah. bunked next to a dude from defiance, Ohio, which is around near where I was originally from. Okay. That was a, uh, Darwinist creation, like arguer like super he practiced buddhism all this stuff and we would all just sit there and have debates and sit there and talk about different things talk all the crazy stuff it was amazing some good church is what that was probably oh my goodness yeah (laughs) and just and now that same dude we're literally even in prison um like i don't know if i would do the same thing now he he was complaining to me one day that he he could go down to the chapel and any Christian could do- go down there and get their book. But him being a Buddhist, he was excluded. So I actually bought him a Dhammapada, which is their, like, scripture. Sure. And, and had it ordered in so that he could have his own. Blew his mind. It was super right. cool. And now <laughs> that same brother, I talked to him about two years ago. When he got out, he got put into a halfway house and got saved. Awesome. It's incredible, <laughs> dude. So... The Lord just was so kind that he used prison to be the first place I ever went to ministry Absolutely. school. Absolutely. And I was surrounded by such... I like how you called it ministry school. Oh, man, it was. <laughs> I learned to evangelize there. Yeah. I learned to share the gospel with people that literally did not want to hear it. At one point, I was yeah. in a bunk with guys that were Muslim five percenters, that if you okay. try to talk to them about Jesus, they will tell you that... What does five percenter mean? They, it, it, It's a it's, super... It's kind um, of the strictest kind yes. of... Yeah, okay, and, I it, so. and it's I minimalized to, sure. to a certain people group and all these different things where me and my skin color were not welcome to them. Right. And if you even tried to approach them and mention Jesus, they would threaten to kill you. Right. Like it was and that intense. was your bunk mate? Yeah. <laughs> I was literally across the row. He was the dude that ended up doing my laundry at one point. So like right. being surrounded in there with people that had such a diverse faith from what you had. Yeah. And we had so much favor in the prison that we were in, we were allowed to have prayer groups of 50 or more people. You're literally not, not supposed to be able to gather in groups of four or more. Wow. We, um, it was like doctrine boot camp. Yeah. Oh, dude. It was <laughs> for, for international religions. Yeah. It was rowdy. I bet you there's people who go to seminary that don't uh, learn as much in as short a time. 
Exactly. <laughs> oh man. And just seeing the way God moved there, seeing yeah. us, uh, working with my dude, Blake, who would sit and get to minister that were, uh, to guys that were still in the Aryan brotherhood right. and all of that, talking to them about their faith and what they believe and being able to share Christ with them, just different things like that. Like you don't, you're not supposed to get those opportunities in there. Right. Even getting to share with COs. Like right. we got to minister to COs at different points and even see God use COs to be able to protect us. We were doing a Jericho walk at one point. Really? <laughs> and we ended up, half of us got thrown in the hole for it. Where some guys just jumping on board, like maybe these walls will come down. I can get out of here. <laughs> no, most of <laughs> Prison them. Prison break. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great show if you've never watched it before. Okay. I watched it before I got Have locked you? up. It gave me some weird ideas and it got <laughs> shut down real quick. Yeah. But, uh, but no, um, even in the midst of like, there's a sergeant screaming in our faces yeah. and saying, you're going to segregation. You're going to segregation in this, uh, wonderful CO. Her name was Miss Smith. She was, uh, straight from West Virginia okay. and she walks into the room and everything changed. Like it was like God walked in with her and the dude wow. changed his entire tone and let, let the two of us go. The other wow. two, because there was only four of us going around. It was, it was really amazing. I have probably said this so many times in my life, but it, it just remains true. Like men, humans, mankind, we try to convince the mind and move on the mind mm. and the Lord moves on the spirit. Yeah. And, and when he has chosen to use someone or to convince or to move them in the spirit, like your judge, like your CO, like yeah. the, the people around you, there's no resisting it no. uh, to, to, the, to the point of um, you just have to sit back and you just go, wow, mind blown. I mean, the Lord moves on people's spirits now in my life, and I still know what's going on, but I still just get that awe and wonder of, God, you're so awesome. Like, it, it makes no logical sense. There's probably no way I could convince them or debate them or argue them or bribe them or, or, you know, whatever it is that I could do to try to get something accomplished. And then on top of that, the Lord does it in such a mysterious and cool way oh, that you just go unbelievable. Because yeah. when you say, when you tell that story too, you, me knowing you and you just being, you know, who you were back then without the Lord and being a hustler and, and, you know, just hard worker and the whole thing, you could have went to prison or into jail and just went a totally different route. Oh, you could have hooked up with a, you know, with a, with guys, with a gang, whatever you want to call it. And you probably could have been running stuff in there and getting deeper into the things that the Lord was pulling you out of. Instead, it's a refining period. It's like I said, it's doctrinal boot camp. It's church, yeah. and uh, and so what? Did, so did you serve your time and then come out of there just like on fire? Exactly. Um, so as I was saying, uh, Blake introduced me to this group of guys, and my brother Rudy, my first Bible teacher, one of the most extraordinary men that I know. I mm. uh, I can't. He's just he. He was a, a father when I had none. Right. And um, just invaded my life, man. Taught me, taught me everything, taught me how to read the word correctly, mm. uh, taught me how to um, study the word, taught me how to live the word, taught me how to disciple others, how to be yeah. a pastor. Like he was preparing me. And his biggest thing, it wasn't to get some people to learn the Bible. It was to prepare, prepare men to go home and mm. to be who God created them to be. So when I came out Amen. the gates... I was ready. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> right. go start a church. I was ready to go do whatever God had for me. And it even when I first got home, uh, right around five years ago, it startled people. 
in my life. <laughs> like I bet I came out, my mom and them, they had like, they'd came and visited me in prison. They read my letters. And, but when I came home, they realized like, Oh, something oh, different. like, yeah, something was way different because yeah. even when I, when I told them I was, I was done doing dope. When I told them that I was done drinking, sure. They laughed at me. Right. Like, and yeah, right. We'll normal see. response. Like yeah. they had seen me, they'd heard it, yada, yada. And, and, and when I came home, they saw it and they were yeah. like, wow, they yeah. knew. And now both of them, I've seen an enormous transformation in their lives. My mom comes to church with us now. Sure. She comes to our Bible study. Yep. My sister, her husband both go to church. It, it's been amazing. And I've seen widely used term revival in my own sure. family to see sure. God really moving on them because my sister was the one that when I was an evangelistic atheist growing up, she was the one that was a uh, part of the Lutheran church in our hometown. She did the whole acolyte thing all the way up through high school. My yeah. mom, same thing. She had been raised uh, Catholic and then Lutheran and had always had the relationship, always sure. was praying for me when I was off doing dumb stuff. And then now getting to see their lives transformed as sure. I have finally pursued after God and taken the role in my family the way I should have when my dad passed away 11 years ago and mm. seeing what God has done to transform their lives. Literally this year, all three of us got new houses. Oh, that's awesome. Only favor God. Like, right. And it's Absolutely. just his poetic justice, man. Yeah. His, the way he does <laughs> things. Um, it's just been phenomenal. It's it's awesome to see when your obedience to God actually blesses others. Oh, man. It's crazy how that covering of blessing, I mean, even David says it in the Psalms. He's like, let the shadow of your wing, let your blessing encompass my children, my children's children, and my children's children's children, meaning generational blessings yeah. uh, because of one person's act of obedience and sacrifice to the Lord. Exactly. And it's so cool when you come out like that and actions speak louder than words, man. Yeah. Uh, I think we have, you know, some real issues in the Western Christian church. And funnily enough, your third world countries don't have this, this problem that much is we're all about what we say and not so much about what we do. There's mm. a lot of preachers and teachers and leaders that'll tell you what to do, but you don't see the action in their life. Yep. And when I've been to Nicaragua and India and Thailand and these other places, and I see these Christians that are either being jailed or beaten or tortured for their faith, the action, the actual discipleship in their life speaks far louder than any words they say. Come on. And it's, it's so cool to see that in your life. I'm going to give you a compliment. I know you're not comfortable with them, but for people listening, I've seen that gospel uh, walked out in actions in your life. And that's so exciting because I will take... And, and you're good with words, too. Don't get me mm. wrong. I've heard you preach. I've heard you teach. <laughs> Absolutely love it. But um, I'll take someone of action in the gospel over someone in words in the gospel any day of the week. Come on. Because we can change the world. Absolutely. You know? And that's why even, um, like, preaching the gospel and also living it is key. That whole Absolutely. phrase of... Um, uh, preach the gospel and then use words like <laughs> right. I think that gets thrown around a little. No, I like in the, it though. In the, it, it can I be like right, it though. <laughs> but it, it, people actually have to live it for it to actually be meaningful. Right. And that was exactly what I learned in prison. It was how to actually walk it out. And, and I appreciate it. And I know yeah. like for me, I, we all get it wrong, yeah. but, but um, the, the Lord, and I definitely agree with you the Western church, what they really miss out on is the character. 
Sure. God cares about character. He he sees yeah. the intents of our hearts. And when mm. we're really about it, when we're really pra- uh, practicing what we preach, mm. it's going to be evident in our life. And there's fruit then. There's People the, are attracted to that. They are. I mean, that's even in the secular world. Uh, I mean, leadership is done by example. Yes. Uh, it's not done by, you know, we all have bosses in our lives. We all have supervisors and managers and no one likes them when they tell you to do something, but don't do it themselves. Yes. Look at, they teach you that 101 when you go into boot camp. like we're all a unit and we don't expect any, yes, there's a hierarchy of command, but everything I tell you to do, I can do and will do. And I've got your back and you've got mine. And the Christian faith is really like that too. Yeah. Um, you know, between the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ and not only that, but acting out what the Lord commands us to do and not just commanding other people to do it. Absolutely. I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a very effective thing for, for evangelism in, Absolutely. In, in the kingdom. So you, you get out, um, you're, you're a different person. I'm sure you get all those run-ins with friends that you'd seen years before and, you, oh, and they look at you weird and sideways and go, what, you're not doing what anymore? You know? Yep. So you kind of got to readjust your social life, your family life, everything. Everything. Um, I went through that as well. Not, not from prison. I should have been in prison, but uh, the Lord was gracious enough to refine me in, in my home mm-hmm. uh, instead of prison. But um, so you get out and then wh- where do you go from there? Cause that's just what, five years ago, five years ago. And now I, oh, I look back at it, man, and God has just been so good to me, so good that yeah. I don't deserve it. And yeah. it's incredible. Looking back, um, because one of the great things that happened for me and one of the things I had prayed for so much in prison, there were two things. One was to find a really great church community, sure. which I found through my, my home church, City Light, and then also through the community of Ember Toledo. Mm. Some of the uh, brothers and sisters that I've done ministry with in both my church and in Emory Toledo have impacted my life in such a way. That's even how I met you. Absolutely. I believe was through. And shout Ember out Toledo. to Ember. Yeah, we're gonna oh, have, man. We're gonna have we're having Savannah on soon. Joe Liggett, who kind of uh, uh, took the reins of that, he's going to be on the podcast in the coming months. But what a great ministry that oh, was too, bringing different churches together and just to glorify, worship, praise, preach, exactly. the, preach the gospel. The, the book of Acts. But yeah, that, that's kind of where we met even, I think, before City Later, right around the same time yeah. about that long ago. Yep. But yeah. So you got involved in that stuff. Yeah, which that was one of the things that also aided in my continued um, accountability and discipleship was being around other on-fire believers that mm. were passionate about Jesus, passionate about spreading his kingdom, spreading the gospel, Absolutely. and about actually living and walking it out. And, um, and as I've done it, um, I met my wife, which mm. is another really crazy, crazy testimony because I love me some Amber. Oh man. She's a great girl. She is. She, uh, blesses me and refines me uh, more than anybody else in this world Yeah, <laughs> through Jesus using her in my life. I would, I know that I wouldn't be here and I know that I yep. wouldn't be the man of God that I am now if it wasn't for her impact, literally Three weeks I met her after I got home from prison. Oh, wow. Or, I don't know. You guys knew it. Well, you knew each other that yes. long, right? Yep. We So I got out of prison February 24th. It was six weeks. Yeah. Okay. I'm usually, re- I'm good with dates. <laughs> um, I started attending City Light a month later, March okay. 22nd. Then I met her April 7th at Ember. She was a coffee girl. I walked in and the Lord captured my heart for her, man. <laughs> right. I literally... Um, I, I wouldn't always call it this, but I had a encounter where the Lord highlighted her to me and Absolutely. showed me and I knew that she was going to be my wife and she friend zoned me, 
with a friend zone wall that was taller than I think any Donald Trump could hope to build. Right. And, uh, and we became best friends. And wow. I pursued her for nearly eight months. And then the war, the Lord brought those walls crashing down. Yeah. And friends, since then, it's friends, been history. The friend zone can't stand up against the will of God, man. Heck no, it if can't. It's supposed to be. Uh, and, and it was <laughs> worth it because it was the same type of refining thing. Yeah. Uh, for all the single young guys that are listening out there, many of you, and I got to have this conversation with a brother at work today, um, many of you are, are praying for that uh, godly Christian woman in your life and the question that God is asking you is, are you a godly Christian man? Ooh, that's You're good. asking to be rewarded. The When mm. he who finds a wife has found favor from God. So in knowing that, boys, yeah. realize that God is trying to make you into who he has called you to be so that you can lead that woman well and so that you can be the godly man that she needs in her life. That's so important. Mm. It's it's You know, it's funny because... Uh, you know, you, you get maybe some non-Christians or religious Christians that will quote, uh, you know, wife, submit to your husband mm. and they'll drop that it there. Yeah. And it's like, uh, read the, read the next verse and uh, husbands love your wives. Yeah. Okay. That's hard enough <laughs> as Christ loved the church, giving up your life for her. Yeah. It's like my mandate says I have to give up my life for you. Yeah. Y- you know? Uh, so it's like, you know, all these all these uh, people in Christianity kind of forget that last second part where yeah. it, it, we have a very important duty as godly husbands Absolutely. to love her so much. And I mean, when I just say love it, you know, and guys, they think like manly, like, oh, I'd take a bullet for my wife. And it's like, no, he's saying giving up your life, all your wants, all your desires, all your needs, all your professional goals. Uh, anytime, anytime you're feeling unloved or impatient or not uh, needed or whatever. I'm not saying to be in an abusive relationship if your wife is that, but guess what? Her needs come first in every single way. Yeah. And that's the mandate that Christ gives us to how to love our uh, wives. And so when you get a wife that is godly and wise and discerning, and Ugh. I've been blessed with that as well too. Yeah. And then you read through Proverbs, just have you, have you been blessed with Amber the same way you read through Proverbs and it says things like, you know, like you said, uh, a godly wife is, a, is to find favor with the Lord. And then Proverbs 31. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could do life <laughs> in this walk without her. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time as a joke, I say, I'm, I might be the head of the house, but she's definitely the neck and the neck always turns the head. Ooh, that is good. <laughs> Just meaning, you know, uh, my wife is so wise. I'll come up with an idea or something I want to do or buy or go or, you know, and I get all these ideas. I think you're the same way. You get excited about something. You're like, let's do this. And she'll go, okay, just you know, if you really feel that way, pray about it. And if the Lord tells you to do it, then we'll do it as a family. And I went, well, she always gets me because she knows I have to answer to God. Yeah. And believe me, I fear God much more than I fear anyone else in Come this on. world. Uh, and you know, and, I, and then I'll pray about it and I'll know. Yeah, that's just me. That's my flesh wanting it. And the Lord, yep. now I'll have to go to her and say, no, that was just me. The Lord doesn't want us, you know, but um, not to say we, I make all decisions by myself. We make yeah. almost all our decisions together, but those things that I just get you know, I get on a thing yeah. about a you rant about it. Give it up to the Lord then. <laughs> yeah. And I just went, there's such wisdom in submission. She's saying, oh, sure, I'll submit. But guess what? You have to submit to the Lord then. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you're the type of husband that will do something and say the Lord is telling you as the head of the family to do it, just because you want to do it, you better 
tread very lightly oh, because man. you will be answering for that as as your wife shepherd one day when you know when every knee will bow and every tongue confesses before him. Come on. But um, yeah, so so five years out, and then uh, I know you were hooked up in a couple different ministries. Ember, you were leading in, and then you were doing some stuff down in Chilla Coffee. Yes, with as well, uh, my buddy Clayton Collins. Clayton Collins, yeah, yep. doing. I've met uh, him a few times. Deliverance and healing ministry okay. with him. Um, and what's what what is down there? I've never been down there. Is it a church? Is it like is so, it a group? Yeah. So um, Clayton's church has been down there. His okay. dad. It was actually his dad's. Um, which his dad has a crazy, incredible testimony. He uh he was beaten within an inch of his life, mm. lost hearing in one of his ears, lost his eardrum, and God miraculously healed him. Awesome. And r- the really crazy thing, five years ago, Clayton prayed for me on April twelfth, which we just passed on a Sunday. Like. It, yeah. it grinds my gears that we didn't get to sit in on a Sunday service these past couple <laughs> right. weeks, but it's all right. Five, yeah. um, it was my five-year mark from when God miraculously healed me. Really? Yeah. I was de- I was partially deaf in both my ears my entire life. I was supposed to be using hearing aids by the time I was 30, and God did something. It was insane. And now you can hear just fine on yeah. the podcast. Look at this. It's insane. <laughs> and awesome. um, And so Clayton, the really crazy thing, so I meet Clayton within the first uh two months I get out of prison. Okay. I was in prison in Chilla Coffee. Oh wow. That's right. You said that. He said <laughs> so when you were saying Chilla Coffee camp earlier, I was going, wait a minute, is he was he visiting a church while but you were yeah, so no. you were in prison yeah. there and then that's where you end up hooking yes. up at too. And it was crazy because while I was inside I actually heard of Clayton's church. Okay. His buddy he has a buddy that uh does worship named Clay Webb. He actually came into our prison and played for a praise day. Yeah. It was I like incredible. Clay Webb stuff. Oh, I, mean, I got Clay's a couple so of good. his albums on iTunes, I think. Ooh. He came down to Ember. Yeah. A couple yeah, times. That's where I met him. Yes. Um, he probably came with Dr. Brian Adams when he came. Yep. He came a couple different times. I missed both of them. I was super salty. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, so I've gotten to do some different stuff with Clayton, definitely with Ember, Ember Monroe, their affiliate up there. Um, and I've gotten to just do anything the Lord has called me to do. So really. what kind of stuff you do now? I, I think you do, you do doing small group. Yes. Right. Yep. I, and I do me, know you preach from time to time. Correct. Yep. I've gotten to preach at probably four or five different churches, different yeah. opportunities, different places. And then right now, uh, me and my wife hold a small group through our city light church. Um, but even with that, we have people come from different churches. Um, it's really open to anybody. Yeah. And we, we love to dig into the difficult topics. Sure. Last year, we did uh, extensive seven-month study just on the book of Revelation. It was wow. awesome. Yeah. Um, at the end of this year, we actually are going to be looking deeper into the topic that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, talking about the Moses Tabernacle, how it points to Jesus. Sure. Um, but How was that Revelation eschatology uh, study, man? That's probably one of the... One of the biggest like uh, sections of uh, the Bible where I just I'm just kind of still up in the air about Man. everything. Uh, there's so many different things you can get to rabbit holes and different theologies and things like that. At the end of the day, and I'm trying to get better at it because for a few years I was just like, you want to know what? Doesn't matter. Live every day like Christ is coming back today anyway. And you know that's how the apostles lived. That's how the early church fathers lived. And then the Lord just really spoke to me and was like, well. 
you can't ignore certain parts of who I am just because they either don't interest you or they're too convoluted or you feel like they're, they're too nuanced. Um, mm. He said, dig in. So I've actually, the last six to eight months have really just been kind of looking at that and go, where do I fall on? Because here's another thing too. I'm, I'm much more concerned about uh, first degree doctrinal issues, Trinity, deity of Christ. Yeah. Like when I talk to a brother or sister in Christ, I want to know, make sure we agree on those first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those if you're are the post-trib, most pre-trib, preterist, amillennial, you know what? There's some differences there, but I think at the end we're all on the same team still. Yeah. So I kind of t- took a backseat for me too, just because it was like, uh, is it really that important? And I come to realize it is that important. It is. So like what kind of stuff did you guys cover in that? Just for our listeners that might, you know, might, prick their ears a little bit when you say we revelation literally, we literally went uh chapter by chapter mm. and worked through talking about the hard issues um because i've been on the same type of journey you know i'm in prison i read all the left behind books right. they had them all in the chapel library where i got to work sure. at one point so you know i read that but really a year ago um at city light our pastor george preached a message on the on um the return of jesus and yeah. some of jesus words like I, I had had a kind of like unbalanced view where I'm like, I'll, I'll uh, pray for rapture, prepare for tribulation, which I think like people use that and it can be a good thing. I think, I think that a lot of people land in that. Camp, Definitely. Though. And the same type of thing, the Lord really just cracked me hard and uh, really began to just move where um, now I would call myself a, a post trib. Okay. But it it's all definition of where you think tribulation ends, begins, right. all that stuff. Where's the post, um, yeah. Really, uh, but working through all of, and be, one of the things that I always try to do within any Bible study I do, um, I follow the principle of Acts 1711, mm-hmm. talking about the saints of Berea. Sure. They would study to show themselves approved, reading the scriptures, the scriptures daily. daily. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, my brother Rudy ground that into my brain. Yep. Like, I... That's the way I treat every uh, podcast or teaching, everything I listen to, because first of all, like we're men, we get it wrong. Not every, there's no man who has his theology perfect on this earth in any given moment. And so um, always being willing to be teachable in that. um, But I always present every view that's available. So like you had brought up, um, amillennial, there's pre-trib, there's post-trib, there's mid-trib, there's no trip, like partial preterist, full preterist. There's all kinds of weird. Yeah. All this stuff. Um, and I've, and I've worked through and really dug in and read in and like, it's a journey. I'll just put it that way. And it's one that I encourage everyone to go on because just like, I feel like the Lord probably had spoke. it, It is important. Oh, absolutely. What, what we believe about the end is going to prove how we live now. Absolutely. And um, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Whatever position people take. One of my favorite ministers, um, again, another dude, can be kind of crazy, uh, Perry Stone. Yeah. Perry Stone's a hardcore pre-trib <laughs> teacher. Perry. Yeah. Um, Everyone loves Perry. Oh, man. Perry. It's those shirts. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I love uh, when he says that. Everyone loves Perry. I watched a couple <laughs> of his uh, sermons. Everyone loves Perry. Yeah. I'm just Perry. Uh, anyway, sorry. That was a bad Perry Stone impression. Sorry, Perry Stone, if you're listening. I doubt it, so I think I'm safe. Oh, man. But yeah. But um, I love how big he is on Israel, too, man. He's dude, a heart for Israel well, and taking it back to the Old yeah. Testament, aligning the prof- messianic prophecies. Exactly. And yeah. that's that's the next thing I was going to get to. So with him, 
even though he's a pre-trib person, he doesn't allow that to let him withhold from how he evangelizes, how he reaches the community, how he impacts the world with the gospel. He is more about it than some others that probably take on the escapism and the pre-trib rapture and all that stuff. We are so tracking on the same wavelength because I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't really delve into it too is I just went, you know... People get off on a tangent and then, you know, they they have a warped view of like rapture or pre-trib or whatever. And then they and then they change the way they act. And, and the Lord just said, look at there's all kinds of doctrine and theology that can warp how you act out the gospel. Exactly. It's not it's not limited to end times eschatology. It could be, you know, in doctrines of grace. It could be creationalism. If you're letting a theology warp the the the, the way that you act out the gospel in your life or a doctrine, then it's warped. No matter where it's coming from. Exactly. You know? And I just went, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. There's stuff that I can do and and get into a weird space where you become extreme or become, you know, hyper whatever. Hyper dash, put whatever you want in front of it, right? Exactly. So I love that you just said the exact same thing I was thinking while you were talking (laughs) is, you know, if it's affecting the way... Yeah. that you either evangelize or walk out the right. gospel or, or, or even how you view God yeah. and his true character, exactly. then, it, then it can become an issue. Yeah. If it's changing the way that you live out the great commandment and the great commission, then, then it's, right. it's whack. And you just need to get back to the basics then Absolutely. and really see what God's really saying. Um, and the other thing that changed everything for me was going to Israel. I got to I got blessed enough to go with Heart of David, which that's actually another ministry I'm semi involved in. I haven't gotten to be as much because of the quarantine, but uh, mm. once it, everything lifts up, um, I'll be facilitating as the only person I believe in Michigan under the Heart of David covering of facilitating a twenty four seven prayer and worship thing and doing some different stuff with that. Oh, wow! Whenever it where opens are they based up. out of? Um, Dallas, Texas. Okay. It's uh, Rick Pino's ministry. He oh, does Rick worship. Pino. Okay. Oh, dude. Yeah. And then I got, when I went on my trip, I got connected with a man named Jose Diaz, who just started a Heart of David school in Philadelphia. That's where Clayton actually just moved, which is super cool. He's teaching wow. up there at their school. It's been crazy, man. Yeah. But I met all these guys when, when I went to Israel and, oh, like walking through the land. Have you gotten to go to Israel yet? No. Oh, man. It's on the bucket list. Yeah. I, it's it was the first missions trip I've gotten to go on, which most people wouldn't consider that missions. Uh, don't believe that lie, people. Anywhere you go when, is missions. Exactly. And when <laughs> and when you go to the land where Jesus walked, yeah. when you walk through the ruins of Capernaum, when you go across the Sea of Galilee and see where he cast out the legion of, of demons into the pigs and they and they drown themselves, when you sit in the tomb, like wow, it. It's a missions trip. Yeah. When you get to interact with the people that God so loves. And that was one right. of the things that impacted me so much was meeting like the most hardcore Jewish men I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it would be cult- uh, politically incorrect. Like our tour guide, his name was Gideon, and he was the Jew of Jews. Right. He was just this manly Jewish man that just loved God more passionately than more than most Christian men that I see in my life, which is just mind blowing and just loves him so passionately. And the other thing that I really loved about my experience is I 
I learned what America was like in the 1950s when you could talk about politics and religion without it hurting everybody's feelings. Because you sit and have a conversation with a Jewish man about Jesus being the Messiah and they don't believe it. (laughs) They get passionate. And to be able to be in one of those conversations with a group of men and then everybody being fine afterwards... It was amazing. Yeah. And that's just their culture there. That's how they live. They are just passionate. Uh, they call it chutzpah or have just chutzpah, yeah. angst. Yeah. They have it in them. They, they, they're passionate and they just love God yeah. and they know him. And yeah. it's not the same thing of them believing that they that like Muslims with them having that they think that we believe in the same God. Right. But like they know our father. Right. And um, they're just missing that key piece. And yeah. it also just broke my heart for them to meet these men and to like pray for them to know Christ That's and what, to really meet him. Some of my favorite preachers or people I talk to, and I don't know the term that they like to use, but like a messianic Jew or someone who has yes. been saved, who is Jewish. Yes. It's, it's so amazing to just mm. sit down and talk to them because we have to remember we're just grafted into the faith. Yeah. Gentiles have just been grafted in. We're nope. adopted <laughs> sons and daughters. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus was walking around. He goes, I came for the Jews, but no one's listening. So guess <laughs> what? The Gentiles are going to be blessed through this. Exactly. And when you talk to uh, a Jewish believer, it's just, it opens up your mind to so many, You just go, oh, everything makes, the way they can explain it, their customs, mm. the Old Testament, the Torah, obviously, and then mm. how it all aligns. I mean, obviously we can do this study ourselves and yeah. we do, and we're going to talk about it here in a few minutes. But when you see it and, and you see the passion in their eyes and they and it clicks and they go, oh my gosh, this is for me. Yeah. And now it's for you too. And this is why Jesus did this because, you know, he was a Jew. Yeah. He was a Jewish man in, in yeah. uh, you know, Rome occupied Israel. But all those customs and all those things and the ceremonial laws and all the stuff that Christ said, he was talking to the Jewish yeah. people. And, and he was still fulfilling it. He was Absolutely. still doing it. And that's what... Um, especially in our uh, super Greek thinking, I think sometimes in the Western church, people yeah. miss that. They, they, they read that scripture where it says that Jesus saying, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And they mm. think fulfill means abolish and that it just ends. Not at all. And not at all. Jesus was a Jewish man living in Israel, fulfilling all of the Torah. Yeah. The, the only way that he could fulfill it was to do it all. Right. So like acting like he was above the law of God, like he was the fulfillment, fulfillment of, it. of it. He was literally, and that's where like the name of Jesus being the word of God, the promise of God. Yeah. He, he was the living fulfillment of it. And that's where like his life is so important to understand the old Testament and what that stuff was truly all about. Yes. The 613 laws of the Torah were so important because in one way or another, they all pointed to Christ and his life, which is part of what we're going to get to talk about. But Absolutely. all of it pointed to Jesus. All of it pointed to the word of God living in the flesh. And um, I know I've heard you talk about, <laughs> we've had discussions or I've been around you. What There's, there's a quote that goes around that uh, Jesus is perfect theology. It's kind of wonky. Right. The... What Jesus is just a fulfillment, right? He is the picture. He's the prototype. He is everything that the, the Torah, the Tanakh, all of it was pointing to. And in him, we find the truth behind all of it. 
Absolutely. But to, I think that phrase is, is a little weird and I would agree with you on you that. Know, we, that. It has to be properly put into context before you say things like that. that. That's the only issue is context. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I've said this before, even on the podcast is the, the further I get in my walk with Christ and I talk to people, the more I usually start out with, well, let's d- just define our terms so we know where we're at because yeah. we have all this Christianese and kind oh, of, my goodness. You, <laughs> you, you say one word, I say the same word. We mean two different things and we're, yes. and we're talking and now we're off on, you know, off to the races in the wrong direction because it's just like, well, let's just define what we're talking about and put it in context. And, you know, even fulfillment of the law, like you say, like I literally have met Christians who say, well, well they'll say it like abolish. They'll go, well, Christ fulfilled the law. Like fulfilled means done. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about it before. I mean, you even look at eye for an eye, right? Like, yeah. you know, back in the day, eye for an eye meant equal punishment for under the law, which was like unheard of back in the day. Like, you know, you, you steal food, you get your arm cut off. We talked about this on the last episode too, so I won't go too deep into it. <laughs> and the Jews come along in, in the Old Testament and they're like, well, no, equal punishment under the law, eye for an eye. If someone steals something, you're not going to put them to death. You're not going to, you know, put them into life imprisonment. You're not going to put them into servitude for the rest of their life because they stole bread to eat let's say, or, you know, to feed their family. Yeah. The Jews come along and say, no, and God says the more humane way is, is equal. Let the punishment fit the crime essentially. Well, then Christ comes along and he goes, oh, now I'm the fulfillment of that. Now, if you even, you've heard it said, but if you even think of this or you, in fact, go the extra mile and, and, and clothe your enemy and give him your tunic too. So he was, he was even stepping it up and saying, well, now you have the spirit living inside of you to where, yes, the law was good. Yes. And, the, and the law does deter a lot of people from doing evil acts. And you can look to the law and say, it's a measuring against my morality and Christ saying, Yes, and. So now the law is still there, but now I've fulfilled it to the point to where you have the Holy Spirit, temple of the Holy Ghost living inside of you yes. to, to to make those godly decisions. So, you know, it, it's very irritating when you hear people use oh that goodness. fulfillment as an abolishment because I look to that and I say, the Old Testament, the New Testament is so congruent. It's it's It fits together perfectly. Yes. And the Old Testament is nothing more than just uh, reflecting Christ in everything that it did. Exactly. Which is such a beautiful thing. So yeah, my brother Rudy always put Put it this way the old testament is a new testament concealed and the new testament is the old testament revealed i love it oh man yeah and um the what you were just touching on too i remember once um i think you were sharing something for um when you were leading worship or something mm. you said a phrase that is stuck with me that i think takes the whole the law up to the point where after that jesus took it so much further because um Jesus is not a moral God. Mm. Our God is not a moral God. He is a holy God. Yes. And when we and seek just. to just fill more moral uh, encompassment and do the right thing, that's only going to take you so far. But yeah. God, in his holiness, we are called to be separate. We're, mm. Because even bad men can do good things. Sure, there's a but, lot of moral, unsaved, horrible people, but they're moral. Exactly. They're sinners, but they're moral. Exactly. But yeah. when we live that holy life, because the Holy mm. Ghost lives inside of us, and we go that extra mile, those are the things that actually, those are the good works that point to our Father in Heaven, where people look and say, you're different, man. Mm. You, you're weird. You're, you gotta be one of those <laughs> Peculiar. people that yeah. knows Jesus, because that's the thing that he would do. Yeah. And Absolutely. Uh, Amen. Man. Yeah, come on. Well, well let's get in. <laughs> let's get into a little bit of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, um, and kind of tell me. I don't know. You can frame this however you want. Yeah. But obviously, we know. We just said 
Old Testament does point to New Testament, meaning points to Christ. Um, I have a book in my library upstairs, and I think it's 525 Messianic Prophecies Fulfilled. And, oh. the, and this guy just goes through and like lists and reference all of them. Obviously, uh, don't have those memorized or probably couldn't <laughs> take too many off the top of my head. But the Ark of the Covenant and uh, how it points to Christ, talk a little bit about that or how, how you even got Ooh. interested in that and, and some of those points. Definitely. Um, so looking at not just the Ark of the Covenant, but the whole tabernacle of Moses um, is literally a prophetic type or a picture. If you guys aren't familiar with what a biblical type is, I can't, I want to say it's Colossians two, where it talks about shadows and types of the things to come Mm. talking about the religious feasts and all the things of the old Testament, how they were pointing to Jesus um, to, to first start any foundation for it the first place I heard about it was in prison. (laughs) Listen to my brother Rudy and he would talk about these things. And, and I didn't have yet the one, the foundation or the spiritual eyes to hear all of it. I just took really good notes. Mm -hmm. And then as I have progressed through my walk, looking things back over and studying it out for myself again, I have, the Lord has just opened up so many things in it to me that are just super cool. Um, one thing I always, uh, act 17, 21, Mm-hmm. Go, or Acts seventeen eleven. Go back and check it for yourselves, guys. Um, because <laughs> we're men, we get things wrong. And when you start digging into looking into like prophetic typology, when you get into symbolism and stuff, some of sure. this stuff in the Bible, people can get weird. Sure, you find all these different dream handbooks and all this stuff. Like, but that's not to deny that there isn't such a thing as symbolism and numerology and things of those nature. I believe in yeah, those things. But exactly. Like you said, it can anything extreme can get a little. It can, and that's where. Weird. Um, the, one of the foundational standpoints, my brother Rudy always used to instill in us was that you need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Mm. We want to use the biblical text to find our keys for our symbolism, to find the keys for things like biblical numerics. I love Mm. biblical numerics, but if you dive too deep into it, you turn into Ashton Kutcher in the number 23 (laughs) and you think that the world is coming to an end and you start trying to name out dates for when Jesus is going to come back and somebody's going to call you a heretic. Yep. Just don't want to jump into that kind so of hermeneutics stuff. 101 <laughs> bible interprets bible yeah absolutely um so the foundation is uh exodus 19 yeah. we we see uh moses he goes up on the mountain he's hanging out with god for 40 days mm. one let's just think about that for a moment yeah <laughs> on top of the mountain hanging out with god in the heavenlies like when you read the testimony of later when the elders go up and they literally eat a meal they are sitting on the glassy sea, as it describes it in the book of Ezekiel, as it describes in the book of Revelation, you can see the correlations to see like where they're eating with God mm. in a heavenly realm. Like yeah. that, that molten lake was not just sitting on the top of this mountain. Right. When you read those things, you, we got to see that he went to a different place with his relationship with God. Mm. And literally, yeah, you want to use the right terminology uh, third heaven encounter. If you sure. take the words of Paul of the guy that he knew, but he, uh, didn't name for sure. that went up. Um, but we, uh, Moses went up there with him and God on these two tablets of stone gave us the 10 commandments. And then also, and this is what people miss out a lot of times. He gave him the perfect transcription of the Moses tabernacle. And when you read Exodus 25 through 40, 
you read all the stuff that God told him. Like I imagine Moses had to come down holding the two tablets and then like a giant scroll that he had to write all this stuff down on or like God imprinted it on his brain somehow to remember all of the specifics behind every little thing. Like, what the walls were made of, exactly how many boards are supposed to be in it, how you're supposed to Mm. make them, like all of these innate little things that make up this grand masterpiece that's literally a picture of heaven. It's a picture of what the heavenly sanctuary looks like, where God dwells. And he gave it to Moses that way, while they're traveling for 40 years in the wilderness, God can hang out with them. Like his presence was with them walking through the wilderness as a pillar by fire and as a cloud by day. Yeah. He literally dwelt with his people. Yeah. And so like... Which no other, uh, air quote, small G God nope. did. None. I mean, that's what set the Jews apart uh, as well because their God dwelt among them. Yes. And positioned the tabernacle in such a way that he could dwell among them. It would Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was usually in the middle of the encampment. Yes. Wherever they were at. Um and such a cool thing because, you know, in paganism back then, you had gods that were aloof and kind of out of touch and non-relational, and you would petition them through maybe self-sacrifice and, you know, uh, even self-harm sometimes. And you'd have a, you know, maybe a wooden or a gold or bronze or whatever type of uh, statue. And even Paul talks about that. Like, you look at your gods made out of like gold, but mine's <laughs> the one true living God that still lives, you know. And yep. then you had the Jews who didn't have a state. You know, didn't have a place to stay, but their God dwelled among them. Yeah. Which was just unheard of. Yeah. At that time. Exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, that was so good. Um, And even bringing up how the camp was set up, because there was even, like, God gave a directive order on how they were supposed to set the camp up in such a way that if you draw it out, and I challenge any one of you to do this, you'll see that there's two crosses in the midst of it. Really? Which is super cool. The actual Ark, Ark of the Covenant, or the Moses Tabernacle, it's set up creates a cross and then the way that the camp is set up with all the tribes of Israel and they're set up along with the Levites around the tabernacle creates a picture of a cross wow. which symbolizes one the cross of Jesus and then the cross that we're called to take yeah absolutely. So it's incredible um so yeah looking at that what are some other things that you see uh that point to Christ definitely so the Moses tabernacle is made up of it's a, it's a structure, 100 cubits wide uh, by 40 cubits, 100 by 40. Um, inside of it, there are seven distinct pieces of furniture. So when you're looking into biblical numerics, mm. seven is like God's signature. Sure. Anytime you find a seven in scripture, you can be sure that God is speaking something through it. Absolutely. Um, the first one is the brazen altar. Then you have the brazen laver. Those are the two pieces of furniture that are, that are in the outer court. Then okay. as you go into the inner court or the, the most holy place, you come across the menorah, the mm-hmm. table of showbread, yep. and then the altar of incense. And then as you enter into the holy of holies, which was a 10 by 10 box, okay. which is co- super cool. It points to the millennial reign of Jesus. Yep, thousand, yep. Yep. Um, yep. Inside, you find the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Yeah. And so each of those... All these components of this actually point to Jesus in a lot of different ways. It points to our walk of salvation because we know salvation is both momentary 
So we come to our moment of salvation where yep. we come into relationship with God, but then there is a process behind it as well, where we're moving from being saved, where we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the seal of the Spirit, to the process of sanctification, where yep. we live out this walk until glorification. Yep. And so the it's a threefold component as you walk through it, because you start in the outer court. Yeah, even that is Trinitarian. Dude, from yeah. salvation to sanctification to glorification is a Trinitarian kind of threeism that is very cool in the walk too. It is. Um, there's a specific scripture even that it's uh, Proverbs 22, I believe 10. Um, I want to. It was Solomon. He said, "Have I not wrote to you of excellent things, of things of counsel, and I can't remember the other component of it." Uh, but when you break down that word excellent. It actually means threefold thing, and it mm. actually t- is talking musically. But um, isn't everything God does musical? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> right. um, and you even see the same language when you read the book of Hebrews, talking about the more excellent ministry. He, uh, Jesus, is a more excellent Moses. He yeah. brought a more excellent law. These different things. It it was all part of God's plan, and that's why in the Old Testament, these things are all typology pointing to Jesus and what he was going to do when he was on the earth. Because even in uh, John 1.14, when it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, when you break down the word dwelt yes. in the Greek, it literally means he tabernacled he among tabernacled, us. Yep. He, like, he hid it there for us to say, like, yeah. I was all the way back there and you guys didn't even realize it yet. That's why, you know, I implore so many Christians who read the Bible, I say, if, if you can... Uh, at least try to take some entry level Hebrew or Greek. Oh man. If, and absolutely what you can do too, is at least uh, it should be Strong's concordance Bible and maybe a commentary or two. Like every time you open the Bible. Now I'm not saying the Lord can't give you revelation by reading the Bible does all the time to me and Christians. And I've read a verse 200 times. And on the 201st time, the Lord just drops something in my spirit and I go, Oh, and I see it a different way. Right. Love that. But at the same time, when we study the word, like the Bereans who went back and they look and they compare and they go, okay, this was that prophecy, this, you know, and really dig in the English language just totally fails on so many levels (laughs) for interpretation. Yeah. Like just Uh. what you just said there in John one, where it says, and, and the, and God came down and tabernacled with us. I mean, if you just said it that way in the Bible, it's just because everyone knows the word, everyone, but I'd say most Christians understand the word tabernacle, but it is, it's that same word that's being used well, not the exact same word, but the same interpretation, the Greek word for what the Hebrew used when it says dwell to to dwell among. So you even see in just very, um, very, I want to say average, but everyday kind of verses that's just always pointing towards Christ, yeah. the Old Testament pointing to the new. And we kind of lose it to where sometimes that's not even a proof text of what you're talking about right yeah. now, but it's a great proof text of what yeah. we're talking about. If we just dig one layer deeper and go, well, what's that actual word that we're using there? Or even like you said, excellent meaning threefold yeah. in, in all these different things. And I've been pleasantly surprised on a lot of verses when I dig into them and I go, oh, oh my gosh, what? I cannot, you know, like even like when I dig it, and this is totally off subject, but we'll <laughs> let you get back to it. But a great yeah. example of this, it's my, sorry, it's my Christian ADD kicking in. <laughs> my uh, great example of that is um, one of my favorite Proverbs where it says, man orders his steps, but the Lord, you know, orders his path, essentially. The man will plan yeah. his steps, the Lord orders his path. That's actual, the the, the the phraseology being used there is 
is almost temporal. It's, it's like it's um, it's timing. So the true tr- uh, uh, interpretation of that is man decides his time, and the Lord does will decide his distance, mm. how long he goes. And when you, even when you read it that way, you go, oh my gosh, that makes, you know, we are creatures caught inside this thing called time. Yeah. So it's like you decide your time and the Lord will decide how far he takes you in the distance that, that, that ministry, that thought, that season in your life, that relationship, how far it'll go. That just, and you just, you just go, my mind. <laughs> but it works both ways, right? Yeah. Because when you think of steps and path, that's what you're saying. You're like a step is maybe three foot. Yeah. A path could be a mile long. So, you, yeah. you know, and you, and you go, Oh my gosh, just a different way to look in that one verse that we say all the time. So, you know, even in my life and when I went, you know, a few years ago when I read it that way, I go, I almost approach everything like that. Lord, this is the time you, you tell me how, for how long the distance you want this to go. Come on. You, you know? Well, and then when you, if you took that verse, and this is one I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit on um, when we get to the menorah, but Psalms 119, 105, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if you coupled that even with that and saying, yes, the Lord mm. is going to take me a certain distance and the way that he's going to reveal it is through his word. Mm. And his word is only going to provide enough light for you to see what's right in front of you so that you can make sure that you're staying on the correct path path. when, when you're relying on the word of the Lord, not on your own wisdom, not on your own talents and all that other stuff. And when you really rely on God, when you really rely on the word that he says first in his Bible, and then if he does give you any, uh, rhema word, but the Bible, of course, like it provides a lot of the most of the direction that we need. That's, you need help with your finances. That's so interesting. <laughs> it's so interesting. The Lord gives you a lamp. He doesn't give you a spotlight. Because I'll tell you what, you get a spotlight, you start looking ahead down the road and yeah. you get distracted. I mean, it's yep. manna, right? It's daily sustenance in God, daily relation with him. Come on. He, um, you know, my, my father's famous for saying this. He always says, Lord, give me enough to to survive, but don't give me too much to where I'm distracted. Ooh. Like I want just enough every day. Come on. Um, and it's so funny that you bring that up the lamp. I've never really thought about that, but a lamp will light your way just enough to get you to that next pace, that next step. He's not going to give, I don't, and I don't think he, we would want the spotlight uh, to illuminate the whole thing. I want daily dependence on him. Exactly. You know, and even like looking at the life of Jesus, just for a moment before Mm -hmm. we, another little rabbit trail, look at him. He literally, he had the whole, whole, whole gamut. He knew at the end exactly what was going to happen. Oh, sure. He, at the end of his 33 years, he's sitting in a garden bleeding blood and saying, Lord, if you yeah. could take this cup from me, yeah. I would really appreciate it, but your yeah. will be done. Absolutely. And in that, like, that is where, like, even for God, even when God was in man, perfectly God, yet perfectly man, yeah. at the same time, he even still had a struggle. Sure. Knowing the full picture and what he was going to go through. I think that's one of the best examples of the mystery of the hyperstatic union. Dude. Because he's praying God's will, because he knows God's will, but he's also, he's fully God and fully man. Uh, But he's also having that struggle because God, Christ had emotions. Yeah. He had all those things. Now, he wasn't sin nature. Exactly. So our our emotions are are kind of restrained by that or controlled by sin nature. Yes. Look at when I get angry, the first thing I want to do is get even or lash out or, you know. Yeah. Christ can be righteously angry because he wasn't in sin nature, but he had all the emotions of man. Yeah. But he had all the deity of Christ and Uh, God. So that's such a beautiful picture. You know, some some I've even talked to non-believers, atheists, agnostic friends oh that's a contradiction 
No, that's the beautiful hyperstatic union yeah. of being fully God and fully man, knowing the exact will of the Father yeah. and knowing that he had to go through it, but at the same time having a struggle and understanding the physical and mental oh. and spiritual pain that he was about to go through. Yeah. we, Me and uh, my wife just watched The Passion for mm. Easter. It's one of our annual traditions, so really reliving it. And then, like, I got to sit in the garden at one point and reflect and think wow. about what Jesus was experiencing there when he watched Judas approach him and kiss him. Wow. Like, oh, yeah. And it's just, it is, it's so powerful to just speak of the mystery of God. And I think for um, people in being someone, I was an evangelistic atheist at one point in my life that if you tried to talk to me about Jesus, I gave you <laughs> right <laughs> inappropriate words and hand gestures. Right. And, um, and now <laughs> I, I can just see it's because it it defies their logic to yeah. say, like, you believe in a God that did that and allowed himself to go through that. Like, yeah. like and it it just, he uses the foolish things to confound sure. the wise. And it I think it just, it aggravates just their whole everything to think, that that's what the love of God could look like. Yeah. Ah. No, I, I steal a line from, I think his name's Frank Turek. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name, but he just, and he wrote a book and it's called, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yes. And uh, ah. I just use that flippantly because it's, it's, it's almost true. It's like, if you can't believe that there's some type of intelligent designer to what this reality is, if you just take, just slow down, yeah, lower the pride a little bit, you know, I, I said this before, I'm, I'm a hunter, man. I'm out in a blind six, seven, eight hours and I, I'm staring at nature and I'm looking at it and I go, there has, how can you not say there isn't something that has designed this? So it takes a little too much faith for me to be an atheist and, Absolutely. and I say it half jokingly, but it, but it's kind of true. But getting back to uh, the, the tabernacle, let's, yeah. let's circle this back around. So <laughs> when you first walk in, you have the, uh, the, altar. the outer court. The outer yes. court, but, there's, but but the altar's there, right? Yes. And that's where they would sacrifice. Yes. But even before that, so to, to even enter in, you have to go through a door. Okay. This is one of the really cool things. And what did Jesus say in John chapter 10? I am the door to the sheep gate. Mm. The, the place, the tabernacle was meant to be the place for the sheep to go. Okay. And so when he's saying that, it was fulfilling the, even just that doorway. And that's where sometimes you can take symbolism and these different things a little weird, but that's one of those, like you, the first way in was to enter in through the door, through Mm. Jesus, because he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. me, We read in Hebrews, it literally says it's through the flesh of Jesus. So we enter in past Mm. the veil. Mm. So we enter in and that, and it points to the significance behind our entrance into our Christian walk. Which, once again, very quickly, you know, we read that now today as Americans, and we go, okay, we get it. We got to believe in Jesus. He's writing to, he's a Jewish scholar writing to other Jews, saying very Jewish things. To them, that meant something. They're thinking of what you're describing right now. They're reading this letter from Paul, and they're going, oh, he's the entryway into where we need to make sacrifice, the tabernacle. I mean, that's what all these things oh you're explaining goodness. is what yeah. they're thinking when they're reading this. They're not going, oh, I have to believe in this guy named Jesus, which, which you know, like how we think of it. Yeah. They're going, oh, he's the actual 
passageway and the sacrifice and all the all of our customs for tens of thousands of years that we've learned this is what paul is explaining or the yes. you know or in hebrews the author of hebrews yeah. whoever you think it is <laughs> uh, but paul talked about it yeah, a lot too absolutely but yeah go yeah. ahead i'm sorry so so we enter in through there and the first thing that they would come upon is the altar and one of the crazy so the intrinsic the in i can't i'm blanking on the word the intrinsicness. Yes. I'm oh, using the a, wrong word, but sounds the, like a word to me. We'll the, go with it. The absolute detail that went into every single component of the tabernacle is mind blowing. Mm. And if you really dig hard enough, you can find a little symbolism stuff for sure. all of it. We're gonna we're gonna keep it real broad. Okay. Um <laughs> to a degree. Right. But you look at the altar and the first thing that it points to is the cross. Right. to repentance mm. because that's really where everything starts. The Lord draws us, mm-hmm. but we do not enter into a relationship with him. No matter what anybody else would tell you without repentance. Yes. That was Amen. Jesus's message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm. That is what it's all about. Confess your sins. That way you might be mm. when the Jews were crying out in the book of acts, they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter told them, you must repent. Mm for the remission of your sins. Mm. And so we look at that the in the altar, um, the cool and, thing. And very quickly to define yeah. that for people listening, a lot of people in Christianity think repent means ask forgiveness. Repent means Rep- you, so, you're, you're going to say what it is. Yeah. The same thing I'm saying. Turn around and go the opposite direction. 180 degree turn in lifestyle, thinking, all those things. That's all what repent them. means. Yes. Not Re- I'm sorry, which yeah. there's a lot of I sorry that goes along with repenting. Absolutely. I need forgiveness. But repent means to change the direction in which you are traveling, to turn around, to go the opposite. So you're headed for death and sin and depravity. Now you're going to turn around. You're heading for righteousness, life, and eternity with Christ. Exactly. Repentance, uh, there's two different words for it. You got the Hebrew word that I always forget. And then you have the Greek word <laughs> metanoia. Metanoia, mm. and this is what even our westernized, Christianized call culture always wants to go with it's just change your mind man right change you just mind. need to change your mind change your perspective change your lens no you need to change your life you mm. need to die yeah. that's really what it's and that's why Christ. even um just to put a plug i love the name of the podcast dead men walking mm. because that's literally what we are yeah. we are dead men and women for the <laughs> sisters out there we are dead people walking because we have been made alive again in christ jesus amen brother and so in that we have been given new life because we turn we have to change our mind absolutely because the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind. Mm. So in that, that's where repentance, it has to be that turn towards actually loving God because before we come to salvation, we are at enmity with God. Mm. We are his enemy. And mm. whether we want to admit or not, we hate him. We yeah. don't want none to do with him. We don't want to come underneath his leadership, his lordship, and mm. have to say that we need a savior. But when we come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have to turn from all of that and accept him for Mm. who he is and turn towards him. And that's when we begin that run. And and it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. We're not going to, you're not going to get it right all in the beginning. Even in my own life, I, I, um, said the sinner's prayer 
a hundred times. Sure. But then there was that day in the shower where I had an encounter with the <laughs> Lord and, and I dropped to my knees in repentance and crying out to God, realizing that I actually was a, a scumbag. Yeah. There was <laughs> and, a release of pride. Yes. I and, think I, uh, I tell people I grew up in a uh, Bible believing uh, church going family, said the sinner's prayer at seven and got saved at 24. <laughs> yes you know i and people go what that seems weird but the more people i talk to especially if you grew up in a and it, i say saved but okay i knew who god was i grew up in there but the lord did not radically change my spirit who i was i i didn't give up my pride and 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 all those things that went with it until i was 24 Come on. and that's when i look at it, i say okay that's when the lord started to to work in my life and actually be able to use me i, I knew who god was i could quote the bible i went to bible yeah. camp and all these other things but i truly look at the conversion yeah at that age which is a little weird thing to say but anyway yeah. so you go through the do- the the door of the tabernacle points to jesus and john uh one we get to the um to to the altar yep the brazen altar which points to the cross the it cross points to the work of christ so what else oh. do we have in there in the outer courts do we have anything else? There, there's, there is one more thing. Um, but first, I want to touch on the one of the significances of the uh, brazen altar. Okay. So, um, the brazen altar had five tools. Okay. And the way that that points even to the cross is Jesus suffered five wounds at the cross. He had the uh, crown of thorns forced mm-hmm. upon his head. He had the nail in each hand, the singular nail through both feet, and then he was pierced with the spear. Which even for that, just to even take it back, pointing to um, Old Testament literature, um, talking about the Passover lamb. So this is one of those messianic scriptures that might not even always be signified as a messianic scripture, even though it was, is when talking about Passover, when talking about what we celebrate as Easter. I, yeah. I dislike that word. But I know, me too. I, <laughs> me too. I don't want to. I let it slide. Look, yeah. I've redeemed the word, you know, yeah. reject, receive, redeem. I've redeemed it Easter, but I know what I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're celebrating the Passover <laughs> lamb. lamb. And one of the things that occurred and that is spoken of when you read in Exodus chapter 12 about the different proceedings of them preparing the sacrifice for the Passover lamb is that none of its legs were broken. Mm. That is a key and pivotal verse because in uh, Roman history, one of the main things that they would do when they were crucifying someone is break their legs. And it was because they were standing on a small block of wood and it's really cool. It was called the mercy seat. And that is what they would use to prop their bodies up because what actually killed men on crucifixion wasn't the beating they took. They suffocated. And so they would be able to push themselves up so they could still breathe. And that thing was actually called the mercy seat, which is like, that's mind blowing in and of itself. So they would break the legs of the man so that it would finally cause him to strangle himself. And that didn't happen for Jesus. Mm. That was literally foretelling in that moment. And that's talking about the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. That was a prophetic declaration that his bones would not be broken on the cross. And I believe there in Isaiah, it says that, right? Yeah. No bone was broken. Exactly. Pierced for our transgressions. And then he was pierced, which that was also a Roman custom that they would not do. Yeah. They did not do that to the men that they were crucifying. So even that man that day who said, you know what, I'm not going to break this dude's legs today. I'm going to stab him with a spear instead. He was literally fulfilling two separate scriptures, Sure, which the astronomical value of somebody doing that, unless it was the work right. of God, is 
insane. Yeah. It, when you really look at it, like you can crunch the numbers and it's like one in 216,000 chances that he would do that that specific day with that specific person, like really breaking down the math. It's insane to know that God prophesied that mm. through his word over mm. 4,000 years before that. And we watched it come to pass in the crucifixion story of Jesus. And I'm sorry, but the Jewish men that wrote those books didn't fudge the words. There was <laughs> right. no reason for them to lie because they didn't even know at those points that they were f- showing through their writings, the prophetic fulfillment Absolutely. of the word of God, which is just, it's mind blowing. It is. And that's where like the things like this, it points to it and it just, it just blows the faculties of saying yeah. like God had such a plan far and beyond what we even can think or imagine just in some of the easy there there's typically 300 scriptures that point to the first coming of Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection Mm. for his second coming. There are literally seven to eight verses for every one of the first time he came. So that's literally 2,100 to 2,400 different verses that foretell of the second coming of Jesus of his return. And so God's had a plan this whole time. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so you have five tools on the, uh, yes. that all, and, and you say those relate to basically the five. The five wounds and five the five wounds. things, which I'm going to, I have a note on this one yeah, to, to make sure that uh, I'm saying this right. Um, because, we, the, and when you look up the word, um, because there's two words for salvation, I'm sure you've probably talked about soteria. Yep. Uh, or soteriology, which is usually the study of salvation through in different camps and stuff like that. Yep. But there's another word, and this one gets misused a little bit. Um, most people hear this and they, they think of something else, but um, <laughs> it's the word sozo. And so sozo is another sure. word for salvation. When you look at the Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when it talks about what must a man do to be saved, the word there it uses sozo. sozo. Yeah. And when you break down that word, it literally has a five-fold meaning. It can mean and point to five different things. Okay. One is eternal life in Christ, okay. the forgiveness of sin, healing, which that doesn't only point to physical healing. We know that God still heals. Sure. I'm sitting here as a testimony. Um, we, spiritual healing. Yep, spiritual well. healing. Yep. Um, there is deliverance from the satanic kingdom, mm-hmm. deliverance from demonic spirits, which that was a very... It's a real thing now, but it was also like in the first century when you got saved, you went through deliverance and you had any bad dudes that were hanging out inside of you cast out and then um, entrance into the kingdom of God. And so it it has all these correlating things that point to the things that were bought by Christ by his death and resurrection Okay, that point to his wounds and this is one of those things where like you can take it to a weird place. I'm putting it out there because after I did the word study, I was like, that's five different meanings. That's really interesting. It all depends on who you're, I think I got it from Thayer's. So the Thayer's Greek lexicon, if any of you are Thayer's fans, I think it's the best lexicon out there. Yeah. Very, very good. You can get on your blue letter Bible app as well. Um, so we, you come to the to the cross, you come to repentance, we come to the altar and how that points to the life of Jesus. And then moving past that, the next thing that's in the outer court is the brazen altar laver. So this is the place that after the priest would uh, cut the goat or yeah. cut the sheep yep. or cut the ox or whatever animal, if they were cutting the, the turtle dove in half, whatever was going on, they would go there and they would wash their hands. 
So one of the cool things that that points to, of course, is baptism, which is one of our, it was one of the commands of Jesus. Sure. Be saved and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's pretty much a sacrament that uh, any denomination across (laughs) across the board, Protestant, Roman Catholic, we all get baptism. Yeah. Yeah. We can agree on that. Um, So some cool things about the brazen laver, there are no specific... um, there's no specific blueprint for how it's supposed to be made, which oh, is really the interesting things. Now, in the so book, in all that detail that Moses received, that was it was kind of left it open, kind of left open. Okay, yeah, which is weird, right? Um, you read when I believe it's in Second Kings. See, this is one of the things. If if we were in my Bible study, I'd be doing push-ups right now because <laughs> I can't name this scripture. I'm pretty sure it's in Second Kings. It's talking about the temple because we all know that the Moses Tabernacle eventually became the layout for not only the temple of King David and then King Solomon, right. but then uh, when you read in Ezekiel, you see the temple that'll be rebuilt. Um, depending on your eschatology and all sure. those things, when it's going to get built. Um, we, so it's uh, a blueprint for all those. It's a blueprint for all those because they're all continuation looking at the heavenly sanctuary and it being on the earth with man. Okay. That's that's God's eventual plan. He wants to dwell among his people and the temple um, even later on is going to play a part. During the millennial reign of Jesus, when you read the different scriptures on it, the um, and this weirds people out sometimes, the temple sacrifices resume again. Because they all point to Jesus. They're all supposed to be that fulfillment. And it's literally going to be worship lifted up to him in eternity. Right. Um, But when looking at it, I believe it's in 2 Kings. I'll get a scripture reference later. You can add it in maybe or put it in the comments. Put it in Um, post, yeah. It's talking about it. And it literally, when you look up the measurement given in the scripture, it's pi. 3.14 and an infinite amount of numbers afterwards. Really? Really interesting. Really weird tidbit. Um, I heard it from a man named Chuck Missler, okay. he, genius, uh, genius man of God. He was an engineer, very knowledgeable in the word and uh, brought some things scientifically that proved some of the real crazy stuff in the Bible, like the day the sun stood still and stuff yeah, like that. I love that stuff. Yeah. Oh man. Super good. I he, love when science catch ups, catches up to the Bible. Absolutely. <laughs> and so um, the, the brazen labor, it, it's that, it's that place of washing in regeneration and what it points to in Christ is he is our baptizer. Mm. That that's what John the Baptist says. He says, there's one who's going to come after me. whose uh, sandal. I am yep. not fit to tie. And he is going to baptize you in the spirit and in fire. But also by following the commandment of Jesus, we get baptized by water as well. We can get into Absolutely. all the other baptism stuff on some different levels. And that's well, <laughs> that's and another great. podcast. Yeah. We'll have you back. Absolutely. For that <laughs> That'd be a fun one. Um, but looking at that, that Jesus is our baptizer. Right. And so from there, we go into the next, the next, uh, the next doorway. Okay. You go from the outer court, which this is one of the cool things with the outer court. The outer court is lit by natural light. Okay. Pointing to the early portions of your spiritual walk where you're just being awakened, just being reborn to the mm. things of God and who he is. And then you enter in um, through the spirit. So, uh, and everybody has different things on baptism of the Holy Spirit and when that occurs. And so we don't have to dive into that, but entering into the holy place, we come into the next pieces of furniture. And so these are some, there's some super, 
super cool little things about these. The, the, when you first would walk in, you come in, you're looking around and the thing lighting the room up is the menorah. So okay. many of you would probably know the menorah, um, possibly even the one that they use to celebrate Hanukkah, which sure. has nine branches, yep. but an original menorah holds seven. Okay. Um, there's that number seven again too. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Which, um, and even, so there's a place in the Bible book of revelation where it explains what the sevenfold significance is and it represents the sevenfold spirit of god sure and then you go back you read in isaiah 11 2 where it talks about the spirit that rested on christ during his earthly ministry um people can make weird theology out of all that stuff if they sure. want to but it points to the holy spirit the spirit of the fear of the lord of counsel of might of all these different things that's who the Holy Spirit is. Sure. Um, and when we look at the menorah, not only is he a person, but one of the things that he does, as we talked about a little bit earlier, Psalms 119, 105, he illuminates our path. Mm. He sheds light and he illuminates the most important thing in our life other than Christ, which is also Christ. And that's the scripture. Mm. Until, we until we are born again and until we have a spiritual awakening, yes. we cannot read this scripture without, with uh, natural eyes. We have to read yep. it through the in inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. When we have our eyes open, I remember being a kid and trying to read the Bible and being like, what is this stuff? Yeah. And then now I read it and I get excited from reading genealogies and first Kings. So <laughs> yeah. And there's a difference between having a head knowledge or having an intellectual knowledge of the scriptures. Yes. And then having a spiritual knowledge of the scriptures. Exactly. Um, I know, I know plenty of people that do not, that are not saved and do not believe who Christ says he was. And they have the Bible memorized or portions of it memorized and definitely and understand the words. Yeah. Uh, I think what you're talking about is the spiritual knowledge of it, having your spiritual eyes opened. Yes. Having that revelation, understanding that I always relate it to, you know, without having that spiritual revelation from the Holy Spirit, because he's the author yeah. of the Bible, first of all. Yes. That'd be like me and you and a bunch of friends standing around a painting, and we're all going, you know, well, I think it's this. Well, I think it's that. Well, I, you know, I think it's a picture of this. And you, you have the artist standing right next to you, and no one's asking the artist <laughs> what it is. Mm. Oh, maybe we should ask the person who painted it. Well, this is what it is. The Holy Spirit illuminates in that exact same way because he is the author, the finisher. He is one person in the Trinity. Yes. Right? The Bible is written mm. through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So having those spiritual eyes open, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's totally different than just having an intellectual understanding yes. of the words in a paragraph, in a chapter, in a book of the Bible. Exactly. Mm. And even going back to what we talked about earlier, when, when we're reading the Bible and you've read a, the same verse, one of those, the super popular verses that yeah. get cast aside and you're reading it. And then there's that one day where you're going through that one thing. And then the Holy <laughs> Spirit just takes you there and reveals it to you. And you're like, whoa. And you just yeah. get your mind blown because of what he reveals to you that you had been missing. Mm. And, and it's because he's the author and he knows exactly how to reveal it to you in that yeah. moment. Um, so some cool facts about the menorah. We, we touched on the whole seven branch arm thing. Sure. Um, so it was made out of a single piece of gold. Mm. And the incredible thing is that the base of it would be hollow. So it the way it was formed and fashioned outward, it was hemmed and twisted and moved into 66 specific components. Really? 
Yes, <laughs> which is one of the craziest things when you look into it. Um, there, it has three specific things. It, it's supposed to be almonds. And so it has the seed. It has, I can't remember the exact names for the three different components. There's the three again, right. the three different components, and it comes into 66 specific pieces that come off from this one branch. Now, was that very detailed as well? Yes. That was a, that's a detailed piece that was supposed to be made. That very way. detailed. And mm. so when we look at the Bible, when people would question, like, did they get the canon right? Yeah. I think it was kind of foretold when you look at the one thing that is supposed to represent the word of God. If the word of God is the thing that is the, is lights the light. our path, lights yes, our path. and illuminates it, and it literally is the person of the Holy Spirit while also being Jesus because they are one, Yep. yet th- that whole mystery. But you look at that, God made no mistake. Yeah. There, certain books didn't make it because they weren't supposed to make it. Absolutely. <laughs> There's 66 books there for a very specific reason. Each one of them point collectively to Jesus, to his work. And it's incredible just seeing that like that when I read about that and really studied it out. Because even in Jerusalem, there is a, a Messianic Jewish man who has built in the specific framework of all of the pieces of the tabernacle furniture, everything to prepare for when the Messiah returns. Wow. He has it all made and certain components of it are around Jerusalem. And I actually got yeah. to see when the menorah that he built in person. It was gorgeous. Yeah. It, it was huge. It's massive. And it's just so intricate and just yeah. so, it was so cool. So you have the menorah in the, uh, uh, where are we at right now? We're inside. Uh, the holy place. The holy place. We're yep. not in the holy holy yet. We're in the yep. holy place. You have the menorah. And then you also have the table of showbread, correct? Yes. So the table of showbread um, would hold 12 loaves of bread that signify the 12 12 tribes tribes of of Israel. Okay. And even looking at the components of the church, because we are engrafted in, it also kind of points to the um, 12 apostles, the the foundational layer that Jesus used to take the message into all the world, which they were all Jewish men, which is cool. So... Both of those 12s are foundations that are found in Jewish culture yep. um, with Jewish men. And so the table of showbread, how it points to Jesus is the words that he gives us in John chapter six. I am the bread of life. I am the one who gives and sustains. I am the one whom you are called to feed from. And so how it points to him, that's where we get our sustenance. That's yeah. where we feed from. Because um, and one of the cool things, so mere men, us who weren't a part of the Levitical priesthood, we were not supposed to eat that bread. That was only for the priests. Okay. Everything inside the holy place it's is for, for priests, priests only. only. And so when they would get in there, they feed from the bread that was only supposed to be for them, but you can read a story of David. I believe it's after the occurrence at Ziklag, and he's on the run. They're chasing down the guys that uh, tore through the village. I think it was the Philistines. Okay. Um, they And he's chasing them down. He stops in a temple and goes in and eats the showbread, <laughs> which, in their, yeah. yes, which in their culture, that was not yeah. okay. Even him being the king 
It was yeah. not okay. But one of that thing, one of that things that that did was actually that was another type pointing to Christ because he was going to be a king who also uh, had priestly duties. duties. Yes, and yeah, he and priestly title. Yeah, to be able to do that exactly. He was suitable. Yeah. Yes, and so that's one of those cool again one of those things in the scripture that without having the Jewish mindset in that. Yeah. I never you even thought that. of that. Yeah. And and I've read that a few times. Yeah. And that's where we we can kind of miss that stuff, especially in Western culture, because we're just not taught that way. We yeah. don't always think about it that way. And so that's one of the things I kind of love about this stuff. You just have to be super balanced and looking through the scriptures to be able to find God writes a plumb line from Genesis to <laughs> Revelation where he reveals himself and all of these things. Yeah. And so the showbread, it always was pointing because even when Jesus says when he's being tempted by the devil and he said, and he tries to get him to turn the bread into, or the rocks into bread, he says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that, or by every word, word that, that proceeds, proceeds yeah. from the mouth of God. He was quoting Deuteronomy. Yeah. And so even that, like he's pointing back and saying like, it was talking about me all the way back there yep. because even then they were crying and they had bread, but that what they weren't crying and looking for were from the words of God himself who yeah. was in their midst. Yeah. Who was and, pointing to me. Yeah. <laughs> right now, even though I was saying it back then to you, I was pointing to me. Yeah. It's a crazy paradigm. You look through the whole Bible and sometimes I feel we can, we can kind of read in to the Bible and think that it's about us when in fact the Bible is just about Christ from, from Genesis to the maps. Yeah. As Beginning uh, to end. my old Southern Baptist preacher friend, you <laughs> said Genesis to the maps, the whole Bible is about Ooh. Christ, you know? And then even you saying about how David eating the showbread and that even being a prophet, you can call it whatever you want, prophetic sign or for, you know, foretelling of how Christ would have priestly duties and kingly duties. And like you said, was, was then able and allowed to eat that bread. You know, we do that, Far too often, I think, sometimes in in uh, Bible stories too. You know, mm. one of, one of the famous ones that that really gets twisted around is David and Goliath. And if you really do a character study on that and what that's about, uh, you know, so many times we hear it preached. You know, what's the Goliath in your life, and you're uh, the David, and you can overcome it, which is fine. Yeah, that can encourage people if they're going through a valley in their life and things like that. But when you actually look that David is actually Christ in that story. Yes. Okay. Come on. Uh, Goliath is Satan. We're the, we're the scared Israelites on the side yes. in that story, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> we're the ones. And and you look at the words used for when it says he came at him with a male of, of scales. Yes. It was actually like a, uh, like, like dragon scales or, or um, snake scales. And the fact that he cut off the, cut off the head was yeah. very significant Ooh. from the very beginning. When, uh, when Satan tempted Eve and he thought he got one over on us. And then God <laughs> comes down and goes, Oh yeah, you think, you know, you think the exact thing that is going to conquer my creation, man, I'm actually going to have, I'm going to have the conqueror Christ come from the seed of man. Yes. And, and from, from that day, he's going to be the head crusher yeah. of you, Satan. <laughs> so you read, you read, yeah, you read uh, David and Goliath and you actually see uh, David as a prophetic Christ slaying Satan, crushing his head. And you go, Man, I like that story. Give me chills mm. when, when I see that. It, even that story is reflective of Christ to come. Exactly. When, you know, I, I feel it does a disservice when we just turn it into, well, you know, um, you know, Goliath is your car payment and, 
you're, you know, and, and, and you're David and you can overcome that with whatever, whatever, yeah. you know, it is, uh. which like I said, you know, it, it, if it encourages someone, that's great. But just the fact that that story, just everything in the Bible just points to Christ. It does. There was a very specific plan before the foundations of the world. There was a plan of redemption for our sins. And it's a beautiful thing because uh. it just, it allows you to look at the Lord and go so sovereign, so mighty, so glorious, powerful, righteous, and merciful was he uh. that he had a plan of redemption from us. In the beginning of time. And like, these are the things that when we read the story of the men walking to Emmaus after the resurrection of Christ, where they're walking with him Mm. and they're sitting there talking about the scriptures, most people, we don't realize they're not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guys. They're not talking (laughs) about 2 Corinthians, Titus, 1 Timothy, Philemon, or Revelation. They're talking about the Torah. And so Mm. when they're saying they're walking, and then Jesus reveals himself to them through the conversation that they're having and shows them that he is the Messiah, it's because he's revealing them to He's revealing himself to Mm. them through the Old Testament. He's revealing himself to them as the Messiah from the things they were talking about. And that's why we look, he's, uh, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews even said he came in the whole volume of the book. He came Mm. from Genesis to revelation and it all speaks about him. Mm. Whether you're reading Obadiah, which is only 27 verses. If you're reading the book of Jude, which is 24, my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Ruth is all about Jesus, which that would be another one. I'd love to come on and talk about sometime. Ruth. Oh my goodness. That one is just full of so much stuff. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, so, and, and we will, you, you, I, I have a feeling you're going to be hanging out for, uh, for a little bit, a couple episodes, cause we could just keep going and, and going uh. on this stuff. But, um, so then, so we, we, we have the, uh, realization of Jesus in the showbread, And then do we have anything else in the holy yes. place? So there's one more piece of furniture that's in the holy place. And that is the altar of incense. So this is the one piece that this is actually supposed to be in the Holy of Holies, but it can't be. And the reason why everybody, um, especially anybody that's familiar with the uh, 24-7 prayer movement, Mm -hmm. um, the fire on the altar shall never go out. Leviticus 6.13, what it's talking about is the altar of incense. So okay. on that altar, there is constantly incense burning that is going up to the throne of God. When you read Revelation uh, chapter 4, where it talks about the bowls being the incense with the prayers of the saints, that has that prof- uh, that implication. Sure. Um, but what that points to, because in I forgot to touch on this one, the menorah, Jesus said, I am the light. Mm, yeah. he caught in uh, John... It's one of those uh, verses in the book. One of those uh, iconic I am statements. Sure. Um, I am the light of the world. Um, And then I am the bread of life. When we look at that, it talks about it all through Hebrews chapters 7 through pretty much the rest of the book about Jesus being our high priest. Mm -hmm. And that is what the altar of incense is all about is his mediation as our high priest next to the throne of God himself right now in heaven as a man Mm. still bearing the wounds of the cross right like next to god on the throne sitting there making mediation on behalf of humanity right now in this moment and eternally yeah Yeah. and we look at that like it's incredible for one because we have a high priest who 
from the order of Melchizedek who can know what we're going through and pray for us accordingly. Praying prayers that we probably aren't even praying for ourselves because either we're too prideful, we're not asking God what we should pray for, we're not seeing things, all those stuff, but Jesus knows. And I love the altar of incense just in knowing that Jesus was probably praying for me long before I ever did. Right. Even long before my mom ever did. Yeah. Knowing that he had a plan for my life to redeem me from my own uh, sure. pit and had a plan whenever it came to pass. Like yeah. that just brings me so much hope knowing that he is my mediator. He is the one standing there beside the Lord. And even now for people that don't know Christ, in the, even this time, knowing that we have a high priest praying for us is mm. incredible because yeah. um, even looking when we we're watching the passion the other day, some of this stuff occurred to me because um, Caiaphas, the guy that was supposed to be going in once a year, which we'll talk about this in a moment, go into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. Right. If he went in there with any sin, you drop dead. Yeah. Your showbread might be your last meal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you look at that, like they had high priests on tap. Okay. Because every year, and, and this is your the whole debatable thing on if you think when Jesus, uh, when the, the veil tore, if the Ark of the Covenant was actually there, or if it was somewhere else because of during the king the reign of King Solomon, it disappeared somewhere. Okay. It depends on people's timeline for all that stuff. But I just assumed it was there. Is there like scholarly debate about whether it was there or not? There is. Okay. We'll touch on it in a minute when, when okay. we jump into that. But um, if the high priest was going in there, like there was a very good chance that that man was dropping dead Yeah, that day. And so even you read the story in the garden of Gethsemane when, um, cause this is like one of those high priest moments. The guy that was supposed to take over for Caiaphas is the one whom Peter cut his ear off. Really? Yeah. Uh, Micus or whatever. I can't think of his name okay. off the type of, top of my head, but when he cut his ear off, he actually took away his opportunity to be the high priest because the high priest could not have any deformity on his body. He couldn't have anything mm. wrong physically with him. So when Peter cut his ear off, he literally took away his opportunity to be the high priest when Caiaphas wow. no longer was high priest. Wait, did, was, didn't Jesus heal his ear though? He did. And so when we know that, like Jesus in that moment restored him even to that opportunity. And oh, wow. who knows that we won't see that man in heaven someday when we, right. when we get to enter into glory and see all the saints that went before us, what life-changing moment that could have produced because like, he was a Jewish man. He sure. knew the implications in that moment and that Jesus was so kind as they're getting ready to take Merciful, him off yeah. and beat him and whip him and scourge him and all those things. He still healed the dude's ear. Yeah. Like, like that is the God that we serve. He wow. is so merciful and so good and so kind, even when we don't deserve it. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. From, it, the, from the line of high priests that were essentially trying to kill him. Yeah. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is sponsored by Greg Moore at Informed Solutions Realty. With over 50,000 residential, commercial, and property valuation transactions completed, Informed Solutions Realty is your premier real estate brokerage in Michigan. Whether you're buying or selling a home or business, Greg Moore at Informed Solutions Realty can help you. And right now, all Dead Men Walking listeners will receive a complimentary property valuation report, which is a $100 value. Visit www.gregmore.realtor 
or call 734-731-GREG for more information on how much your property is worth and how you can get it sold fast. That's www.gregmore.realtor or call 734-731-GREG. Dead Men Walking is also sponsored by Meriwether Farm. As followers of Christ, we are called to feed the poor, show compassion and mercy, and make disciples of Him. And that's exactly what Meriwether Farm does. Through farm and food ministries, Meriwether Farm is dedicated to serving the underprivileged and those in need in their community, showing the love of Christ and making Christ known. Meriwether Farm is a nonprofit charity that fulfills its kingdom mission by partnering with listeners like you. For more information on how you can get involved or donate, visit www.mwfarmministries.org. That's www.mwfarmministries.org. We are also brought to you by Threads Baby Boutique. Hand-sewn and made right here in the USA, Threads Baby Boutique Etsy shop is a must-visit. With unique clothes and accessories for infants, toddlers, and young children, you're sure to find the perfect ensemble at the Threads Baby Boutique. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Why not bless them with this perfect gift and see what thousands of satisfied customers are talking about? Visit www.etsy.com and search Threads Baby Boutique or connect with them on Facebook at Threads Baby Boutique. And now, back to Dead Men Walking. So you have the incense. Uh, do we have anything else in there besides the menorah, the nope. table of showbread so, and incense? So those, nope, those are the only three. Which is, uh, go ahead. And I was just going to say, so then past that, there is a curtain, correct? Yes. Into yes. the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies. Yeah. And this is the one when we read when Jesus was crucified, it says that the veil was torn. This was the veil. And it was pretty thick, too. It was like a, it was well guarded, I would say, right? Yeah. I mean, you it couldn't was, just like trip and fall into the Holy of Holies. No. There was a separation between yes. the ark and yes. even that inner holy place exactly it it was so, actually made of four so, th- so three three layers too to get to the holy holies yeah. outer inner and yes exactly inner inner inner, <laughs> inner. there's that three again yes. that trinitarian that you know yes yeah and even when you think about the holy place that is illuminated by the light of the menorah which mm. is super cool which, which is, is the illumination yes of yeah. jesus and of his spirit to illuminate the things of god to us um wow. the the um it's beautiful the table of showbread speaks of community sure. of the body of what yeah. was going to be extended from him and the whole point and purpose behind it. Like, the- so you almost have three steps to the Holy of Holies inside of the second step, three things that are representative of Christ and his role yes. to the father, yes. to the Holy of Holies. It's like, it all just kind of just lines up. Yes. That's so cool. Isn't it? Yeah. It, like, I, I've I've been talking about this stuff for five years and still every time I do, it <laughs> right. just blows my mind. And it was even really cool when you had messaged me about this because I just started walking through the study with a couple guys yeah. on a Zoom Bible study on Sunday afternoons nice. because it was a gentleman I worked with when I worked at Cherry Street Mission who's like, dude, I know I remember you talking about this <laughs> and I want to dig deep into it again. Yeah. And so we've been working through it. Um so now we're going to jump in. This is like the fun part. This is one of my favorite ones. Okay. This is like, so now oh. we're going into the Holy of yeah. Holies. The, the place where the presence of God would dwell with his people in the wilderness. Okay. It was incredible. So again, talking about the high priest for a moment, he, when he would go in there, he went in one time a year during the feast of tabernacles, which one more cool thing I want to drop. 
for you guys to go and study out, there actually is biblical and scholarly evidence that says that Jesus was born on the Feast of Tabernacles. Really? Yes. Um, I would encourage you guys. There's a way where they actually look at the life of Zechariah, his uncle, who is the father of John the Baptist, and his priestly cycles that show that John the Baptist was likely born around the Feast of Passover. And in that, six months later, is when Jesus was born. And when Kinda is cool. that? Do you know what month that is? Or is that like springtime? Or it, uh, or is that fall? When so is the- for the Feast of Tabernacles is uh, in our Gregorian t- calendar, because the Jewish people run off a different calendar than we okay. do. Um, their calendar is only 360 days. Ours okay. is 365. They have a weird thing to account for leap years that was put in during the time of Hezekiah. Okay. Really Really cool stuff to dig into, but um, so it would be around September, October. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's even uh, so I recently actually read an article about it that they think that Jesus was born on September 11th of three BC. Yeah, I've I've heard that too. Yes, that that's so, kind of where we're gathering now. Yes. Um, uh, from scholarly, you know yeah. what I mean when you're looking at. Yep, and just because words. they can actually trace back all of the days and all these things. So it pointing back to that, that's why uh, to jump off on a tangent for a second, that's why he was born in a manger people. It wasn't literally a manger. It was actually a Sukkoth, which is the tabernacle that they erect during the feast of tabernacles. When they had no room in the inn, they jumped into an abandoned Sukkoth. And that was where it looks like the baby Jesus Mm. was born, which is just super cool. Yeah. Just there. And like that even goes back to that whole John 1 14 that that the the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and he came down during the feast of tabernacles so, so uh you know we as humans read that story and go oh he wasn't born in his home and God goes oh no he was born in his home in yeah. his tabernacle in his he was born he as the God as God the father the, you know Christ his son he was born in his home he's born in, he couldn't have been born in a more perfect place then that ah, <laughs> oh, is that awesome, man? So recently, the Lord's really been. I've been studying as I've been restudying all this. I've been looking at how it also points to the feasts, the origin, yeah. original Jewish feasts. So that just even ties more into mm. some stuff I've been. Studying and then when he's into. twelve, right, and he says, "I'm in my father's house. I'm right where I should be, dude. This is where I na- <laughs> this is my natural state. This yes. is what you know." Oh, and then it opens up in the beginning of the history and Isaiah and talking yeah. about himself. It's like he knew who he was. Yes, he he was not unbeknownst to himself that he was. The yeah. Mashiach Nagid, yeah. that he was the one who is called to be the anointed one, the Messiah, mm. who is coming for the restoration of humanity. Amen. Oh, it's beautiful. He knew who he was, peeps. Yeah. He, 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 it was not unbeknownst to him. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to think that he was standing on top of the bathwater when Mary's trying to give him a bath. Right. If you guys have seen that meme on Facebook, it's a good one. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he knew. And so... Uh, Looking into the Holy of Holies. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love this stuff. I just, yeah. I get super nerdy, geeked out when I no, get to talk awesome. about this. Um, so there are two pieces of furniture that are in the Holy of Holies. The first one, which we touched on it a little bit, talking about the crucifixion, is the mercy seat. Okay. So most people, when we think of the Ark of the Covenant, they put the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat together and think that they're just one part in the same. Okay. But they're actually two entirely significant pieces of furniture. So 
And, and I keep using the word furniture for a very specific reason that I'll okay. touch on at the end. Okay. Um, which, I mean, that's what the Bible calls it, but it has a cool correlation to a teaching of Jesus that I think is important. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to plug it at the end. Okay. But um, so the mercy seat is a piece of pure gold, and okay. on it are erected two statues of seraphim. And so this, on top of the mercy seat, is where the presence of God would dwell in the Holy of Holies. That is where the presence of God would illuminate the whole room. Like, the the high priest would walk in there, and he had to sprinkle blood on that thing. He didn't do it in the dark. And it was because the presence of God was Mm. literally in the place with him and illuminated it just like when we read in the book of revelation when it talks about in revelation 21 and 22 about what the new heaven the new earth will be like and what the restored temple will be like it says that there is no darkness there that the light of christ literally emanates and lights Mm. everything in creation wow like that the the speed of light no no longer matters anymore it goes everywhere all the time absolutely (laughs) um and so that po- that is eventually pointing to because there's the, there's the verse that I want to say it's in Hebrews. Um, we can boldly approach the throne of grace, mm. uh, the throne of mercy, and so that's actually pointing to Jesus in his role as our judge yeah. someday. <laughs> that one day we are all going to stand before him, and yes, we are covered by the blood of Jesus, our sins have been atoned for. But we are still going to be judged on some things. We're still going to be judged on the words that we use. We're still going to be judged on the lives that we lived after we have come to know Christ, not to be cast aside because of sin, but to actually judge the fruit of our lives because there, and it talks, there's seven different crowns that are going to be bestowed to the saints of God for their lives that they lived in the certain, like, if you're martyred, like, People ask me what my five-year plan is. My wife gets mad when I say this, but I say martyred in a foreign country. And I'm kind of I'm kind of serious. Like, I'm not going to be mad if I got the opportunity to go preach the gospel in Iran and somebody cut my head off. Right. Like, I would get to die doing what I love, and hopefully that person would come to Christ afterwards. Absolutely. But, um, like, that's the highest honor yeah. <laughs> is to get to die well, it's kind of Jesus. the attitude we should have. Exactly. Uh, it's kind of the attitude that a lot of, Christians outside of uh, Western Christianity have. Yes. It's not a lot of attitude that you find here in the United States or Canada or, you know, kind of yeah. in this, I would say civilized air quotes in the, yeah. in the developed world, because we just have, we have so many freedoms and luxuries that just blind us yes. to what it is to mean to truly serve Christ and to actual sacrifice for him. Exactly. You know, we, we think we're sacrificing for Christ when uh, we go to two church services in a week and it's like, oh. you know, it's, yeah. it was so backwards here. Yeah, it's um, heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking, is what it is. It yeah. really is because you just go, "Geez, don't ever, I don't ever want to be a David that counts my own men." Uh, and, it, and we slip into that so easily yes. because we're afforded so, and we do. We have, I mean, we, you and I, we have. I told, I said this on the last last podcast too. You know, if you make more than twenty seven thousand dollars in the United States, you're in the global one percent. There's yeah. 99, there's 7.2 billion people poorer than you. Mm. And we just forget, we slip so into complaining and materialism and, and all these uh-huh. things when in fact the Bible calls us just to give up our life for him. Yeah. That's the, you know, yes. obedience, sacrifice, and ultimately if we give our life for him, 
it's the least we could do for someone who gave his life for us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where like, it, it's so key, so pivotal, so important to have a true realization of what this Christian life is all about. Mm. It is not to become your best you. Um, <laughs> it, it's not to live your best life, live your best which, life no? which I mean, yeah. like, I'd say like when, when we opened the podcast, Craig asked me how I'm doing. And I said, I'm living the dream. And most people ask me that. And I give everybody that response. And the reason why people ask me, like, are you sure? Like, this is a dream to you. And I'm like, yes, this is a dream because I know my God. I know that my Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Mm. That word for truth there. I can't say the Greek word. I'm not real good at Greek yet, (laughs) but that word for truth there literally means reality. I am the, I am is reality. Mm. And so if you're a matrix fan, we're, we're in the matrix technically (laughs) like this life is a, is something that God is using while we're here. But the true reality behind this is eternity. It is eternity either with God or without him. And so I am living the dream. I, I know my God. I am married (laughs) with a a beautiful wife, a great stepson. I have an incredible job where I get to, uh, minister and shepherd to people, uh, selling them great products. Um, and like you just said, I'm part of the 1% within the world. (laughs) I am so insanely blessed, but not by what I have materially, but by what God has truly given me that actually matters. That's how I can say I'm living the dream. Salvation and eternal life. Oh, there's nothing better to know where I'm going to go when my eyes close the last time. Absolutely. (sighs) I told told someone this recently. uh, You know, I said there's so much fear with this whole like uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 and all this stuff. And I just feel sad because um, there's not a whole lot of, there's room for wisdom and discernment and to take precautions and all that, right? God calls us to be wise and discerning, but there's, but I don't live a a daily fear because I go, what's the worst that can happen? I go to glory. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and look at my family would be sad, I'm sure. And vice versa, if the Lord took them from me, but at the same time, the ultimate thing that happens is I get to meet my creator. (laughs) Yeah. We get to be with him. And, (laughs) and I would definitely agree on that too, from the flip side for people that are so fearful for what's going on around us. And you hear like, Oh man, where's this at in the Bible? And and to be fearful that this would point to the return of Jesus. Mm. Like I'm ready for that dude to come back. I'm not worried about my 401k. Like I, I'm going to make sure that I'm being responsible, being sure. wise, but I'm not trying to set up so that I am just going to be perfectly hunky dory here on this side of the earth yeah. and not worrying about the return of Jesus. I'd much rather him come back. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to worry about furthering my career or any of that. Like if the God, if the Lord wills it during this time, absolutely. But my hope is in the return of Christ and him doing what he says he's going to do and him coming back and ruling and reigning from Jerusalem and ushering in eternity. And whether I get to go and be with him beforehand or I get to be here when he comes back, that's what I'm ready for. That's what I'm hoping for. And, And I think this has been an opportunity for the body of Christ 
to really dig in and really find out. I got to share this on a devotional um, for church about what's your hope in? Because in the midst of chaos and trial and tribulation, what are you putting your hope in? Mm. Are you putting your hope in Jesus? Are you putting your hope in a vaccine or things that are going to make it so that life can go back to life as as usual? Because I'm... And the key there is putting your hope in. Not saying something is a vaccine is good or bad. It's saying, no. what are you putting your hope in? Yeah. You know, Luther said it so eloquently. He said, whatever your heart clings to in times of trouble, that's what, who, who your God truly is. That's yes. what your God is. Oof. And, it, and it's so true that in times of need and trouble, whatever you're clinging to your money, your relationship, your material things, well, then that's really your God. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I think it's also good to what your to your point is prepare for the journey that you're going on. Yeah. No one gets into a plane and starts building a bunk bed. Ooh. I'm only here for four hours, three hours till the flight ends. Yeah. And so many Christians are building a bunk bed when their life is like a vapor, Ecclesiastes says. Exactly. Uh, we're here for a moment. Yeah. Uh, and then we're on to eternity. Yes. But yeah, let's let's get back around to uh, the Holy of the Holies because I know yes. you got some stuff to say there. And boy, I, we can just chat it up. We're, we're getting close to two hours here, but I'm oh, sure man. everyone listening is <laughs> doesn't mind because you're so energetic and informational about this. But so let's talk about the Holy of Holies then. So we have the mercy seat made out yes. of gold where the... Where and illuminated, and it's where the yes. uh, spirit of God dwelled. Yeah, and the cool thing that it points to, it's got the seraphim there. When you read the accounts of Isaiah and Isaiah six, where he is taken up into a, a throne room encounter with God, or you read in Revelation, he's surrounded mm. by the seraphim who are mm. crying out, "Holy, holy, holy!" Mm. So that's even pointing again. Sure, it's a picture of the heavenly sanctuary, Trinity where God of Holies, dwells. as well too. Yes, Three Ooh. Holies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. Um, so yeah. now we're going to oh, get awesome. to get into the other threefold thing that's in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. So there, there is definitely some mystery to the Ark of the Covenant and where it's at because it disappeared. Mm. So some people have a different timeline to when it disappeared. Okay. The one I have, um, there, there's a bunch of different theories out there, just like we have done tons of different doctrine and sure. tons of different ideas and thoughts. Um, but some believe that it actually disappeared during the time of Solomon because okay. of war that broke out after his kingdom ended and his kingship ended. Um, and which was also kind of the end of the golden age of Israel too. Yes. It kind of ended with Solomon, which would be kind of be weird if it did. It's kind of correlates with. Yes. Favor or whatever you want to call it, but absolutely because we see where the Ark of the Covenant was, that was where the favor of God was. That's where his his presence was, where he would dwell with his people. Um, So, what's the other theory that that it was uh, destroyed during the siege of Rome in AD seventy? Okay, yep. Which is another one where, like, it could. I honestly point to the uh, the theory that Solomon moved it and hit it. Okay. And, and there's a reason why, which I'll bridge to in a moment here. So the the theory is because Solomon had a really great relationship with the Ethiopian queen. Okay. Um, I can't think of what her name is right now. Yeah. That uh, she sent him a bunch of gold and all that kind of stuff. Uh, queen of Sheba? No. No. It starts with a C. I know it's not Cleopatra, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he, uh, it's even people think that uh, there was a connection there, a love affair, sure. stuff like that. You know, Solomon, 700 yeah. wives, three concubines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
So some people believe that the Ark of the Covenant was actually taken to Ethiopia to be hidden. Okay. And so one of the reasons why is in Jewish tradition and heritage, they believe that the Ark of the Covenant will be brought back when the Messiah returns. And so the interesting thing about that is when we look in the book of Acts, uh, when people hear the story of Philip, the thing that always jumps out to him was his transportation, like he teleported into this right. place and all of a sudden ran into this dude, which, yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, if that's what God did, that's cool. But the even cooler part of the story is his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay. So the Ethiopian eunuch, for some reason, traveled all the way up to Jerusalem and got confused because the Messiah had been crucified. He was mm. very confused. And so he's riding back and he's trying to figure out the confusion behind the behind the Messiah's crucifixion because he was sent there because they heard that the Messiah had come. And so then he's going back and he's reading Isaiah 58. And then Philip ministers to him, shares the gospel with him, shares about Jesus with him and that Jesus was the Messiah and he was resurrected and went to heaven. And then the uh, Ethiopian eunuch is, uh, saved and baptized. Okay. And so there's a correlation there that the Ethiopian people are hiding the Ark of the Covenant in Ethiopia until the return of Jesus the second time. Okay. And so it, there's scholarly research and different things that have pointed that that is why he was there and why that story is even in the Bible, that mm. he was going up to verify that the Messiah had come and if they needed to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Ethiopia back to Jerusalem, Wow, which is incredible, yeah. super cool, because there's so many really interesting ties with the early Christian church in Ethiopia, yeah. some of the scholarly evidence, different things like that. It's even um, pondered that Jesus, when him, Joseph, and Mary, um, as foretold by Scripture in the Old Testament, fled to Egypt, that they actually stopped at a temple that was erected in Ethiopia. And now you got to be careful with things talking about Jesus's early life. You don't want to get into the weird like gospel of St. Thomas Aquinas and some of those weird stuff. But there is historical evidence pointing that he stopped in Ethiopia during one of the feasts while they were on their travels to Egypt to bring sacrifice to the Lord in Ethiopia, huh. which that would be interesting if the Ark of the Covenant actually was yeah, there. It's it's such a weird tie to that. Um, and then, you know, and like you said, even like uh, St. Thomas, I look at it, I look at canonized and then I look at historical. Definitely. I have no problem with, you know, I've read the book of Adam and Eve, the book of Enoch, yes. the book of St. Thomas. They're not canonical, but they're definitely historical references to definitely. it. And they can, they can, you know, in study, they're, they're good for aiding to... Especially when you read Enoch, you're just like, whoa, that, that yeah. book is nuts, man. <laughs> so many crazy things in there. Yes. But, um, and a lot in the of- Ethiopian church, actually, in their canonization of scripture in the first century, Enoch was included in their canonized Bible. Oh, wow, Bible, really? Which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> just because you brought it up. And there's, um, and a lot of secular uh, biologists now and anthropologists say that the, um, the that humans essentially started in the the area of Ethiopia. That's where yeah. like the cradle of civilization yes. was. So how funny that, I don't know, I, hmm. not that I'm saying one way or yeah. another, I don't know where humans, uh, you know, kind of started from, yeah. but that'd be really funny that the birthplace of humankind is also where 
the uh, covenant <laughs> might just be sitting, yeah. waiting for the return, the return of, of Christ, who yeah. then is, you know, the birthplace of <laughs> the new heaven and the new earth. Yeah. Kind of all comes full circle yeah. if it is. Interesting but, conjecture, right? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I love, <laughs> I love thinking about that kind yeah. of stuff because you go, I don't really know 100%. Can't prove it, but God knows. Yeah. And I don't think there's any coincidences with God. Exactly. You know? as, the, as the rabbis say, <laughs> coincidence is not a kosher word. It's not a kosher and, word, yeah. And, and like that proves that God is so intentional with the scripture. Oh, absolutely. If that does end up being the case, like that is a clear reason why we got the story of Philip, not because of his transportation in the spirit, which yeah. is cool. Which like is if God cool. did that, that's sweet. No. But at the same time, like... God so intricately thought that out to send Philip there to minister to that man, get him saved, sure. and then send him back to his people, which probably started a revival in Ethiopia because by the time the apostles got down there, I believe through historical record, yeah, I could be wrong on this. I haven't studied it out well enough, but they already found believers in Christ there. Yeah. And so that man doing the same thing that the... uh uh gathering maniac did when he went and discipled the 10 cities preparing them for the for christ to come and minister right. there he went down and spread the gospel which wow. is just powerful but now we'll jump back to the ark of the covenant because we kind of jumped off on a rabbit no, trail good. but it's it's good stuff man and this is where studying the bible is supposed to be fun yeah it like you find all these cool crazy rabbit trails and just again and i know uh greg definitely talks about this um just being careful what you subject yourself to, what you read, sure. and always making sure to balance it with the word of God. Yeah. We always want to test everything against the word because the word is our ultimate truth. Absolutely. It's the thing that's always going to point back to Jesus, Absolutely. essentially. And so the fun stuff when we look at the Ark of the Covenant, there are three specific items that are actually found in the Ark of the Covenant. The first one is a piece of manna that's okay. in a glass jar from when the children of Israel we're in the wilderness. Okay. So think this is one of those things where I love to really like get weird right now. If the Ark of the Covenant is still like yeah. okay. well and good in the world, like <laughs> this makes me blank out. Cause I just think about this stuff sometimes and it blows me away. That means right now there is a piece of bread on yeah. the earth that God produced in heaven and grew on the ground in the dew of the earth. Yeah. Almost 6,000 years ago. And it's preserved in a glass jar to display somewhere. to the world that yeah. is sitting somewhere right now. Yeah. The bread of angels literally is sitting somewhere right now. Like that's mind blowing. Yeah. Then we look um, another cool story, Old Testament story. The next thing that's in there is the rod of Aaron. So, and if you guys know the story of the rod of Aaron, there came a time when, um, some of the followers with Moses and with Aaron while they're traveling in the wilderness got fed up. They didn't like that Aaron got to be the priest. They were jealous and they tried to challenge him and they tried to challenge God. Yeah. And God was like, okay, you guys all, all the 12 tribes, y'all pick a leader and y'all pick a branch right. and we're just going to set them all down. And then the morning, whichever one butted, that is who I choose to be priest. So they all get excited. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah we're going to we cut our branches. Chance. We're going to lay it all down. And then they come in. And, and the thing to bear in mind is that none of these branches were connected to anything, but they come in and a miracle had occurred because Aaron's rod budded. Yep. It, was, it had leaves and buds on it. None of the rest of them did. The rest of them left salty, but they recognized again the priestly anointing that was on Aaron to yep. be the high priest over the nation of Israel at that time. 
And so in the Ark of the Covenant, after Aaron's passing, his rod went in there. So one of the cool things, there's no specification for the length of the rod okay. in, in Scripture, but just from the way they made them, it actually doesn't fit. So it's kind of foretelling of the priestly role of Jesus that it can't be put in a box. Right. It actually overextends right. the boxes that we try to put it in. That's one of those fun little ones where you can, yeah. you can kind of put some conjecture on it and say like, hmm, that's yeah. cool. Um, and then the last or, piece. Yeah, he wouldn't fit into the box of what even the Jews thought a Messiah was going to be. Exactly. Or what we think it is to this day. Yes, because yeah. even for the Jews, all they thought they were planning and hoping the Messiah was going to be is he was yeah. just going to come overthrow Rome. Yep. He's going to set a him political free. savior. Sure. Yeah. And, and not looking for the one that was spoken of in Isaiah 53, which in their culture, they don't even read it. They won't talk about that verse of scripture, yeah. but it actually talks about the suffering servant, how he would come, sure. how he would bear our iniquities, how he would be um, beaten and how he, that he would be pierced, all those yeah. things. That's a hard one for the Jewish people to talk about. It's actually a very, very small minority of Orthodox Jews that believe in basically the suffering Messiah. Yes. Ben Messiah, they call it. Yep. I have a friend that has studied this and it's, it's, it's so crazy because they're almost even a little bit closer. They, they believe in a suffering Messiah, but they don't, they're, they're agnostic on whether it was Christ or not. Yep. But it's, it's very minor. Yeah. Maybe one half of one half percent of actual, you know, Orthodox Jews. But there is that sect in there because they can't ignore it. They can't. They, it's, it's they in come their, to the place that they're like, in their this book. actually is in our book, and <laughs> yeah. and not just ignoring it. Yeah, Because with them, like they follow a strict reading plan, so sometimes it allows them to just overshoot that and sure. say, I'm reading this portion of the Torah and these things. Yeah. Um, and Christians do the same thing. Man, I know, so, and I, I can do it too. You get hooked into like one little section, and then you get focused on it, and you, you know... The older I get, the more I realize just moderation in everything. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because it's all the word of God. I can't be too much in the Gospels. I can't be too much in the Old Testament. I can't be too much in Revelations. I can't be too much just in Proverbs or Psalms. It's like, yes. it's all good, Paul said. It's yes. all good for edification and nourishment. Exactly. You know? And for our learning so that Absolutely. we don't repeat the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the next piece that's in there. Because again, this is another excellent component. It's a threefold component. And this is one that I can't wait to see it someday is the Ten Commandments on stone. Okay. The ones that the finger of God had to rewrite the commandments because Moses had a, a fit for a moment when he clashed the other ones together. Right. Um, the two stones that the Ten Commandments were written on by the finger of God mm. are sitting somewhere on the earth right now. Yeah. Like these are the things I think about where I'm just like, it's out there somewhere. <laughs> I feel like if someone found it right now, we could literally have a world war over it. Oh man. Meaning just who would t try to take claim to it. Absolutely. You'd have people who would want to examine it, have it. I just feel yeah. like, because you've got to realize like every geopolitical issue we have in the, in the world really just dwells around who, who Christ is yeah. and, and the Jewish people. Yes. Oh my goodness. It's crazy how you have people who just deny that Christ even existed, yet we have every geopolitical war is fought over a Judeo-Christian uh religion and we you know we base time around it BC and AD. It's like yeah. the guy had so much I say the guy but Jesus Christ, <laughs> the guy, the god 
had so much influence in this world that everything is based around it. Yeah. Yet we have people who deny that he even existed is, is just insane to me to think yeah. about. And, and the, and the um, amount and extent that they will go to to try and ignore yeah. and say, and even the way they'll try and twist it. I have heard so many claims in even the past 15 years that now Jesus, Jesus was a Palestinian. Right. That he's of Palestinian descent and that he actually helps them stake their claim to the Palestinian land in Israel. That was some of the yeah. stuff that I learned while I was over there that just yeah. blew my mind. Those are some mental gymnastics you have yeah. to do there. And it's and like it makes you confused. <laughs> I'm like, right. where did you come to that? But... The yeah. Satan is constantly trying to deceive the world. Oh, just twist. Yep, little Absolutely. twist. That's he. He started taking scripture out of context far before any of our. Well, <laughs> well, Satan doesn't show up in a pitchfork and a no nope. you know, angel in, in, in horns and and you know a little pointy tail. No, he makes himself look real good. He I, makes himself desirable. He makes himself look like yeah. the truth, and, and it's just that little bit of skew, that little bit off. The changing of a word, a jot or a tittle. I think, uh, I think Charles Spurgeon said, you know, the difference uh, discernment is not knowing the difference between good and bad; it's knowing the difference between good and holy. Ooh, come on, good and almost good. I mean, yeah, something like that. But basically, making that distinction, like, yeah, if, if he came at you with just like that, you know, like your Hollywood devil from the fifties, where he's dressed in a, you know, a cape and a and a pitchfork, we have the morality of God seared into our conscience. The Bible says we yes. know right from wrong. And yes. Most people would turn and run from that, but he comes always with something with truth intertwined in it. Yes. He, he's the mimic, the fake, the twister of scripture, obviously the, you know, the accuser as well. And I think that's where I think it's so important for us to have the discernment of the Holy spirit. Yes. Because then we can discern from half truth and full truth. Cause half truth can look very close to full truth. Yeah. You only have to rationalize a little bit to go from truth to half truth. You know? Exactly. Um, I know we're getting off track here, <laughs> but um, so so let's get back on. Yeah. Uh, so and we'll wrap this up for everyone. So for we're sure. in the holy of holies. We have the three things uh, that point to Jesus. Is there anything else in there that yes that points to? So so Christ? the cool thing about those three pieces. So mm-hmm. the ark of the covenant is the thing that they would carry that would house the presence of God. Yep. When they were changing, when they were moving, and even we read the story of David with Uzzah, yeah. when David miscarries, he has them improperly carry the Ark of the Covenant, and he touches it, and it slays him dead. People look at that, and they're like, well, why'd God do that? It's because God is very specific. He yeah. he has a decency and an order placed to everything that he does. There's nothing that he does without question. Everything is the way it is for a reason. And um, looking at, and this is where I'll, I'll try to use the best words for it. Sure. The, the Ark of the Covenant is literally a picture of Jesus because it's the heart of his offices. Okay. It's the heart of who he was in the ministry that he has. Yeah. So the bread represents the prophetic ministry that Jesus carried, the message. Yeah. When we look at him on the earth, he was a prophet. Yeah. They called him a prophet. He was said, Moses said, there will be a prophet that will come from the children of Israel that will be greater than I, and he will come, and if you do not obey his words, you will go on to destruction. Mm. And so, and his message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, pointed to the Father. That was his whole earthly ministry. Right. 
outdoing yep. the works of the devil, destroying the works of the enemy, doing all those things through the healing of people, through deliverance, through um, the yep. forgiveness and remission of sin with his finished work on the cross. Then we look at Aaron's rod, which represents his priestly ministry, which is the one that he fulfills now. Right now, he is his high, the high priest, as we talked about. Intercessor. Yep. Intercessor Absolutely. standing at the, or sitting right now. Eventually, he's going to be standing how Stephen saw him before he comes to return back. Um, yeah. And then the last one speaks of the law, which speaks of his kingship. Because when he returns, he's not coming back as the prophet. He's not coming back as the lamb. He's coming back as the lion. He's coming back to rule and reign for eternity on. He's coming back mm. to judge the world. He's coming back to judge Satan, to yeah. throw him in his cage, and then to finally throw him into the lake of fire for all of eternity, him, his angels, and all of those who chose to deny him. He's coming back to be the king and to judge. And so when looking at the three things that are inside the Ark of the Covenant, it looks at his three offices, of okay. what he fulfills in scripture as the prophet, as the priest, priest and, and as the judge. Or judge, yeah. yeah or king. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And what's kind of cool, too, when you look at the threefold component of the tabernacle, they also point to the same thing. Because the works of repentance and baptism points to his message. Repent, mm. be baptized, Baptism. and then go and make disciples of all the world. Then you look at the intercessory ministry. You look at the priesthood of the um, the work of us, as he said, you brought it up earlier, we're a peculiar people, a royal priesthood yep. who are made to minister to God and minister to the world around us. And then finally, and people get wonky with the whole kingship scripture, the whole, you can call it sonship, kingship, sure. uh, uh, kingdom, whatever. We're, we're all called to minister within our sphere of influence and to enact the kingdom of God on the earth through our lives. That's, Absolutely. That's what we're called to do. And so that was Jesus's ministry, and that's how we are called to fulfill it with him. Right. Not for him because right. we do it out of our own works. We're going to mess it up, and we <laughs> right. can't do it without him because if we do it without right. him, we're building our own kingdom. Absolutely. But when we're doing it with him, that's when we're going to bear that fruit. And so— Amen looking at each of those things and how they point to Jesus. Because again, the uh, holy, the most holy, the holy of holies is a 10 by 10 room pointing to when Jesus returns. It points to his millennial reign on the earth where he is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem as king. Right. As, oh. the, as the right and true king. Yes. The one who is meant. Yeah. The one who is called. Wow. So what a beautiful picture that is because what what also strikes me is you see it, you see Christ represented from the very entrance, from the outside of the outer courts. Yes. All the way through right into the Holy of Holies to the innermost sanctum and place uh, where the spirit dwells. Yes. And every step of the way, it's pointing back to Christ. Yes. It's pointing back to God. Uh, which is such a beautiful thing, mm. you know? So, uh, man, that was, that was so awesome, Josh. We could sit here probably for another <laughs> two hours uh, and just talk about this. But we, I, I got to have you back on, too, um, because I know there's so many more subjects that we could get into, and I know that you have passion for. Yeah. But um, I just wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing that with us. I know that uh, 
so many Christians sometimes will leave one of the testaments behind when studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. When in fact, we touched on it before, and I know you do this. We look at all of it. We look at all 66 books, that full yes. canon always pointing to Christ. But um, before we uh, wrap up here, do you have uh, any anywhere you're uh, preaching or ministries you're involved in or anything like that you want to tell people listening about? Um, currently, I have been working on the, the ministry I've been kind of building myself. Okay. Uh, well, not myself. With Jesus, right. what what I feel like he's called me to um, working. I've been working on a podcast. I think we had talked about okay. a couple months ago um, of getting things off the ground. I've just been, I was recently promoted at work. Okay. <laughs> and so going through a lot of crazy life changes, yeah. but um, I'm actually working on putting together some online classes. Okay. So doing some different discipleship stuff, okay. um, working through eschatology, working through, um, so you had brought up earlier uh, in discipleship and even just having conversations with Christians, uh, the our primary doctrinal beliefs. Sure. And um, one of the fun things that I love to challenge people with is Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, because a lot of times, and they're very good subjects, we get caught on the, the doctrine of Christ, the deity of Christ, all those things, and that's our foundation. <laughs> like sure. that is what it's actually all about. Yeah. Um, and in Hebrews six, one through three, there are seven specific doctrinal things that are talked about that whoever wrote that called the foundations of our faith. He sure. said, let us not re- return again to the elementary principles of the doctrines of the Christ, which okay. is pointing to Jesus, yep. his work, all those things by laying again, a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, plural, laying on of hands, eternal judgment and resurrection of the dead. But let us move on from these things. And then it goes on talking about, you know, we need to not just drink milk, but eat solid food and then move on to meat. Right. Um, working through those seven principles, how they actually apply. Um, so I'm working on a teaching, some teaching stuff with that. Are those online yet? Not yet. No. Okay. When do you think they're going to be available? I'm hoping within the next three months. Okay. I I've, um, working on writing them up right now. Okay. And then, um, because one of the cool things, and I'd love to come back and talk about the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is one of my favorites and I've actually been writing a book on the book of Ruth for the past four years and just, uh, sometimes you, you've got to take your time through things so that you're doing it right. And, um, the finding those seven. Well, you know what they say: you have five years to write your first book. You have two years to write your second book. Ooh, so that's okay. Take all the time you want. Yeah, yeah. On, uh, I got. I got book. one more year then. If I'm <laughs> if I'm hitting for the five year mark, um, but how those seven principles that I just listed, the doctrine yeah. of Christ and all those things, are actually found in the Book of Ruth, and okay. I believe that they're actually found in every book of the Bible to some yeah. degree. To some and degree, yeah, because they all point to Jesus. All of those things, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, eternal judgment. All, sure. These things all point to Jesus, his work, and all the different roles that he plays. Um, so working through some of that stuff, as for preaching opportunities, that yeah. may change depending on when churches open back up effectively. Um, right. Working towards doing just some online stuff probably. But this time... Uh, as I feel for many, this has been a time to really just recharge with God and yeah. really press back in, reestablish the home, reestablish the life of devotion to God with my sure. family, which is always our first ministry, guys. And it's like yeah, we talked about important. earlier, it's so important to be 
loving our wives and helping them to grow closer to God as we do. Um, I love that part. Uh, man, what, what, what book is it? And you might know what I'm talking about. Uh, but Paul's saying basically like, yeah, it'd be better if, because Paul was just so singular focused and so passionate uh, when you read him. Yes. He was like, it'd be better if you weren't even married. It'd actually just be better for the gospel if you just, you know, but if you do got to get married. And then he just writes this whole beautiful thing about, you know, what we're supposed to do for our husbands and wives and spouses and yes. all that. But I love that he prefaces with like, well, it actually, it's almost like I'm reading it and he's going, I prefer it if you didn't get married. Cause you have a lot of stuff you have to do that you couldn't <laughs> do for, for the kingdom. You're like yes. he was just so focused, oh, you man. know? Uh, and then you got Peter who's a little more laid back, you know, see, I, I love looking at Bible characters too, and seeing that their humanness came through. Yeah. Uh, in the word too, not that one was necessarily better than the other, yes. but you know, inspired by the Holy spirit, but through human writers. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but you're so right when you, man, when you have a, when you have a family and you have kids, uh, like we do, boy, you have responsibilities yes. and, uh, <laughs> the Lord makes them very clear on how, how they're supposed to be treated and the priorities that they take in your life. But so, yeah, when you get the podcast stuff up and going too, um, Hey, yes. there's a guy sitting right here that would love to be on your show and Absolutely. we can cross promote it. But uh, Josh, <laughs> thanks for being here. Uh, I appreciate you as a brother in Christ and I appreciate all the information you brought to us tonight. Uh, anytime you want to come back, especially the book of Ruth, we'll have oh, you back on. And can't I'm, wait. And I'm sure we'll learn a lot. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yep. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Men Walking Podcast for full video podcast episodes and clips or email us at deadmenwalkingpodcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.